Friday, the 29th of July. I'm Randy Coure. This is What's Up the Sports podcast, broadcasting live on Facebook Live and Apple's ColorCast app. Thank you so much if you are uh, joining us or downloading this episode via your favorite podcatcher, or even if you are watching this episode on YouTube. On today's episode, uh, even it even... Though it's the off season, it's definitely the busy season in both the NHL and the NBA. Uh, in the NBA, a lot of big names have resigned, and uh, in the NHL's case, specifically the Calgary Flames, uh, a lot of big names are jumping ship. Where is Kevin Durant going to end up? It's been uh, give or take about a month uh, when uh, reports came that uh, Durant wanted uh, out of. Brooklyn. We end each show with our rapid fire segment, big deal, no big deal. But before that, which athlete should have a statue erected in their honor? Uh, joining me is uh, what he usually is, is uh, What's Up the Sports podcast contributor, Tony Antonio is here. Tony, how are you? He is on mute right now. Just a second. He's I'm here. okay, Randy. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Doing great. Thank you. As well, uh, really excited to be uh, joined by a couple of newcomers uh, to uh, the podcast. Uh, uh, first is a fellow Canadian who now calls the uh, great state of New Mexico home. He goes by uh, Prince Metalia. Uh, Prince, thank you so much. How are you? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. No, the pleasure is definitely mine. And finally, uh, representing the red, white, and blue of Team USA, a uh, passionate broadcaster who I've had the pleasure to work with uh, at calling uh, Atlanta Hawks, Toronto Raptors games, uh, amongst other sports that he follows very intently. He goes by the by the Pack Zone on ColorCast. His name is Jerome Boateng, and he is uh, with us as well. Jerome, thanks so much. Hey, how's it going, man? Great to have hey, great to have me on, man. Appreciate it, Randy. No, let's uh, let's definitely have a great time, guys. So, uh, you know, uh, first things first, guys, and I'd be uh, remiss if we uh, didn't start off with this. Uh, but uh, he is uh, garnering garnering a lot of attention in Major League Baseball, and that is uh, Juan Soto. As of right now, he is for the Washington Nationals. He is an expected stu- superstar. In the making, he is a 23-year-old already World Series champion. And as uh, reports came out of him rejecting a 15-year, $440 million contract, uh, reports are just circling of uh, who may be interested in signing him. Tony, I'd love to start with you. And uh, how familiar are you with Juan Soto. It just seems that uh, you can't uh, uh, go, uh, listen to a sports show without uh, this player and how attractive he is as a potential 
uh, star in the making. Well, somewhat familiar with him as much at baseball as I've been following the last few years, but you always hear the superstars names and he kind of, uh, you know, he's kind of in the same boat as, as Vlad Guerrero jr here, I guess, because, um, international free agent signing, uh, big time prospects. I mean, there, there was nothing but high expectations on them. So here he is turning out, turning down a huge lucrative deal. Um, this is a big thing. Uh, you mentioned his age, 23 years old and the potential that's ahead of him. Um, I, I would not be shocked if there are at least, you know, six, seven teams who have already reached out to the, to the nationals about him. And uh, you have to wonder how serious uh, teams like the Toronto Blue Jays are uh, in acquiring Soto. But of course the uh, asking price uh, for Washington must be pretty high. Uh, Prince, uh, 15 years at $440 million, uh, that averages, if my math is correct, to be $29.3 million. Uh, you know, chances are he's not going to rely on Groupon for, uh, uh, you know, sales and so on uh, going forward. But, uh, you know, you think of that kind of money, like, how out of control do you think contracts are, specifically in baseball? Because... It just seems like it's getting larger and larger to the fact that Soto looks like he's perhaps looking for close to a half billion dollar contract potentially. Yeah, they they are getting out of control in sports in general, but definitely in baseball. I mean, baseball, of course, they don't they got the they got the no salary cap. I mean, so that's definitely a huge thing. And there's a huge distinction, huge difference with salaries on each team because, you know, you got. Uh, the the rookies the, the the players that are entering on, onto the roster they can't negotiate within the first three years and then the top end players they get high salaries so there's a huge distinction and players like Soto of course you know all stars like him he's a silver slugger he's a batting title uh, and he's he's been a huge performer in the playoffs for them to win the championship the World Series so he's the asking price is high but I mean you know I think you know we've seen these kinds of deals in the last few years when the last decade or so even with Alex Rodriguez 10-year deals uh so you've seen around 2.53 million type uh, dollar deals per year if you break it down per year so these long long deals have been around and I think Patrick Mahomes has made a huge difference on the landscape mm-hmm. of of these kinds of deals I know it's a different sport but when it comes to negotiations when it comes to sports I mean you know managers are going to want to ask for their players for their most amount of money. So, you know, people are going to ask for their agents are going to ask for the most amount of money. What Patrick Holmes has done has changed the entire landscape of sports, American sports completely with that long deal that he had the most ever at that position. And of course, Josh Allen benefited from it as well. So the MLB, I mean, they have TV, they have TV contracts with extra revenue that they build from that as well. So they have no salary cap. So they make a lot of money. And so I think it's it makes sense that the MLB, of course, is, is having these large contracts, but they are definitely out of hand. They're definitely out of hand, you know, that they're paying these players this much. Um, it's it's not uncommon for the leagues to see this now, but it's a lot of money to be playing any player, no matter how good of a player he is. But he's going to be a hot ticket item definitely on the market right now. You know, it's funny. So, I, sorry. Please. Let me jump in for a second. Prince, I. I just I'm asking the question: Have we ever seen in baseball a guy that age be available of that caliber? Twenty three years old. 
And plus, if you get him now, you're getting two and a half years of his availability under his current deal, under his current situation, under the uh, collective bargaining agreement. So you think of a team like the Blue Jays, they could potentially have three playoff runs with Soto in the lineup without even worrying. Could we sign him to an extension or not? I don't know. But, you know, if you're not giving anything significant off of your, you know, everyday lineup for it, you know, Bichette, um, Vlad, obviously players like that, you have to, you know, have us, but if take a second look and see if, if it's worth making the deal, but I would give up four of the top six prospects I have in the system. If, if that's what it takes to bring a guy on under those circumstances at that age with the possibility that you could resign him if things go well, like that's potential for three playoff runs with this kid and he's 23 years old. Uh, there are a lot of teams who would absolutely make that deal. A team like the Jays are poised to make that kind of deal, I think. I'm not saying it, it's going to happen. I don't know anything, but uh, it, this is the first time I've seen in baseball at that age that kind of player being available. And you talk about previous deals that have been made, say, for you know Albert Pujols or, or um, uh, I think you, you mentioned A-Rod. Well, Garrett and Cole even, is e- one. Even, uh... even, even when the Jays got josh donaldson those deals almost never work out for the team that's trading the star oh like almost never yeah from a i mean if you're looking at it you're looking at soto from from an age perspective i mean he's a he's a good investment to make if you're an organization there's a lot of teams that have a lot of money they can spend especially in this business and and mlb so it's a good deal i'm not sure if it's a good fit for that for for the jays certainly um would be definitely a good a good part of the lineup, but as far as the investment you're making uh, with all the guys that you already have on the roster with the, with the amount of money you already have invested. I mean, you got to be smart with kind of deal that you lock up with this kind of player, but um, there's definitely a lot of guys, a lot of teams with a lot of money out there that are looking for a player of this caliber. But I I think, um, uh, you know, Tony to uh, sort of chime in on what you had said there is that I don't know how, uh, Washington could trade Soto to a team like Toronto without including somebody like Bichette or Guerrero. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, the way I see it is that prospects uh, are, I don't want to say a dime a dozen. Uh, you heard about Bryce Harper coming up through the ranks, but then uh, for every Bryce Harper, there has were a handful of other uh, prospects who were supposed to be can't miss. And uh you know, didn't end up uh, doing nothing. So, you know, in terms of a Blue Jays perspective and, uh, you know, with uh, Pac, uh, with Jerome being uh, from Georgia, potentially, I'm assuming if you're not an Atlanta Braves fan, uh, maybe uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jerome. But I'm I'm definitely a Braves fan. Uh, I grew up a Yankees fan, though. So I kind of root for both teams, (laughs) but I'm definitely more of a Braves fan. So, I mean, uh, with Atlanta, for example, I mean, how was uh, uh, the Nationals going to trade Juan Soto, if somebody like an Acuna doesn't uh, come back. Yeah. And, you know, like whether it's like worth it for the Braves, um, you know, when you're talking about just for them specifically in division two, like the Nationals are going to ask for an arm and a leg. So it, you know, I don't know if it's really worth it for the Braves to sacrifice their entire farm system plus important rotation players. 
Um, you know, because they like they've already won a World Series last year, so they're definitely sure that they can get hot again and do that. But in terms of like who it's worth or like who would be willing to sacrifice that for, um, it would have to be, I think, in my opinion, either a big market team that can afford to just give up a lot of their farm system players like a Dodgers or a Yankees or um, even a Mets to some extent, too. Um, I think they can really afford to give up those uh, prospects because they're definitely in win now mode. And I don't think they're really that concerned over what may happen with their farm system in the three years that Juan Soto will be there. Um, on the flip side, though, you can make an argument for those teams that they may feel confident enough that in three years, Juan Soto will just be willing to flat out sign to them. So it may not even be worth giving up all those prospects too. So that's another angle you can look at it from just a big market team perspective. Um, if they're not a big market team, like if you're just like a medium size, like whether you're a Braves or a Toronto, then I think you have to be willing to think like, you know, one, how confident are you that Juan Soto is going to be willing to resign? Because as great as he is and as young as he is, I don't think anyone's willing to just give up, you know, a good portion of their farm system, a lot of their prospects and a few of their good rotation players, uh, players that could be stars in the future just for three years of Juan Soto. You have to know that he's going to be willing to resign. And two, even if you trade for him, you know, is that going to get you over the hump? Um, and because apparently, like, for example, San Diego is one of the teams that are in the running. They're one of the front runners. And as good as Juan Soto is, I'm not sure if that really puts them over the hump over the Dodgers. Um, Toronto, they're a really good team, but does that put you over the hump against the Yankees, not just for this year, but for the next years to follow? Or are you still just going to be a wild card team, but you have a really good hitter and you know, you still just have to hope on playoff luck. So it's a lot of things to consider. I think in general, just uh, like uh, I think Tony said, we've never seen a guy that's this young be on the trade market. And, you know, I bet any team is willing to pay him whatever is necessary. Um, so I don't think like, you know, just having to pay him is going to be an issue. But is he going to be willing to resign with your team long term? That's definitely something you got to consider. And a World Series with him would go a long way toward that, but that's not foolproof either. You know, we lost Freddie Freeman after winning a World Series, so you never really know. And that was apparently that apparently that was his agent's fault. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> the Braves fans were trying to tell people that all summer, but everyone just thought that the Braves just snaked them. But you know, hey, it, it is what it is. Matt Olson's he he's killing it right now. So you know, I, I just hope for the best with Freddie. I hope he's he's doing good in L.A. because he's crushing it playing wise. I hope he's happy there. That was that was one of the weirdest divorces, uh, if you even want to call it that. I I think any of us have ever seen. Uh, and uh, well, uh, who knows if that's happened uh, before? But uh, yeah, I, I don't think uh, a lot of uh, baseball players are going to be uh, going for that uh, agent. Uh, I think he's going to have to find. Oh, oh a funny thing is. Funny thing is, though, Dansby Swanson, who's a free agent this summer, has the exact same, same agent thing. as Freddie Freeman did. So we may be going for another round well, with that agent. Hopefully uh, Dansby's a little more wiser or, or uh, pays a little more attention than Freddie did. 
I'm surprised that uh, Dansby's is still uh, with that guy. Mm, yeah, I, I'm surprised <laughs> too. But hey, you know, hey, different players got different relationships. And, you know, I guess Dansby just saw like, you know, Freddie, he ended up getting the bag. And Dansby, after an all-star year, like the Braves, there's no there's no uh, hometown discount this time around. He, they're going to have to pay whatever they have to pay for Dansby. Just like whoever trades for Juan Soto, they're going to have to pay whatever they have to pay if they want to keep Juan Soto. And apparently that's going to have to be more than half a billion dollars. That, that That's just absurd. Turning down a $440 million contract, I, I mean, hey, Washington just might just be that bad of a place, I guess. Well, I mean, and that's a, uh, the funny thing, too, is that, you know, it's only been, uh, what, less than three years ago when Washington won the World Series. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, that uh, being said, uh, and uh, uh, Jerome, you were uh, alluding to it as well as uh, how it's not a guarantee. Look at the L.A. Angels. You have Rendon, you have Otani, you have uh, Mike Trout, and uh, they have been fluttering uh, forever. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know. The whole aspect of uh, here's a guy who's got two and a half years left on his contract and uh, that uh, he isn't going anywhere and is, uh, quote unquote, relatively uh, affordable. But uh, you do have uh, a lot to give up. And, you know, uh, Prince, I'd love to throw this one to you. And is that how is sacrificing future prospects? I mean, is uh is it worth sacrificing the future in order for said team to win or make a run for that championship? It's a, it's a, it's an age old question that we've been asking for years, and I think the Colorado Avalanche is an analogy have done a pretty good job with that, you know, as a good example. They won a championship recently. They have certainly had a lot of pieces in place already with McCarr. They picked up Kadri. They picked up a lot of players for with one-year deals, of course, as well. Sackick made a lot of good moves. So, I mean, if you have a good roster, if you have the available cap space to make a move like that and you know you can win now, I think you have to go for it. And, you know, a team like Green Bay, not to go off course too much, but, you know, Green Bay, they certainly tried to go for the future uh, without knowing exactly what uh, a backup quarterback could do. But you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you definitely want to capitalize. So if you have a guy like Soto, you know, in baseball, you know, you definitely want to make sure that if he's going to be on your team, that you have a team, if you're going to give up prospects, you know, that you already have a team that's built around him, uh, that's going to be successful. It's going to be able to make a run into, you know, um, to World Series. So, I mean, I think it's really important to see what you have in place, and that's extremely important. And I think it's worth it, absolutely worth it to do it if you have the team um, that's going to make a run. Well, and uh, for basketball fans uh, like us, obviously the uh, Toronto Raptors uh, sacrificed uh, making a run, uh, putting pretty much uh, gambling uh, so much for Kawhi Leonard, and uh, that worked out pretty well also. So uh, it's uh, definitely interesting to see, especially uh, the fact that Juan Soto, I mean, he's not uh, hitting for average uh, too well this year, but, uh, you know, you take a look at uh, what he's done uh and previously he's hit as high as uh 350 albeit in the uh uh, in the uh covid shortened season so uh you know uh uh, what kind of that's huge yeah Yeah, uh, please and like i think really um to me like uh just 
in terms of the, I think the two teams that I really feel like should absolutely make a run for them where it would be worth it. Um, because obviously the Yankees and Dodgers, they can do it by any means. Uh, they have all the resources in the world to be able to rebuild that farm system and get the impact players to replace what would be going out with Juan Soto. But I think that the Mets should uh, definitely, whatever they have to give up to get Juan Soto, I think they should do it just so they can cement and lock in that NL East. If they want to get the Braves off their tail, then getting a guy in like Juan Soto can definitely just widen the gap and uh, just, you know, guarantee the Braves are going to be in a wild card position again. Um, And I think the Cardinals, only because I just trust their farm system. Like the Cardinals are just one of those teams. They're able to find diamonds in the rough all the time, no matter who's playing at any position. So I just trust that they'll be able to replace what will be uh, going out when they'll be bringing in Juan Soto. Plus, they're second in the division right now, and I think they can just be able to close the gap on the NL Central with the Brewers. So um, those are really the two main teams I think it would be worth it for. Um, And there's other teams that are obviously in there, and there's, like, other scenarios where, like, if he goes there, it wouldn't be the worst thing. But the Mets and the Cardinals, in my opinion, like, they, they could really, like, use a guy like Juan Soto And I don't think they should really care that much about their farm system. Other teams, though, like the Padres or the Braves or uh, any kind of mid-level team that's trying to go after Juan Soto, they have to be very weary of him leaving in two and a half years and not getting anything in return for that. Because a move like that for a lot of teams, if Juan Soto does end up leaving, it'll leave them handicapped for a good few years. So... That's my opinion on, like, who, like, the two teams that I think it would absolutely be worth it for them to trade. So uh, with uh, the uh, Juan Soto uh, story uh, still out there, uh, we'll uh, move over to uh, free agency in uh, not only uh, the NHL but the NBA. And, uh, of course, uh, the big news uh, to start uh, was uh, Kevin Durant and the whole saga with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of things happening in that borough, but uh, we'll get to uh, Durant uh, in a moment. But uh, Prince, uh, obviously, uh, there's uh, been some movement uh, in the NBA, a lot of uh, re-signings more than anything else. But in terms of a team perspective, uh, who do you think has made the uh, biggest imprint so far this summer? There's been a lot of good teams, but I think the Bucks really uh, made a really solid Solid move this this uh, free agent uh, during this free agent market. I think they signed Pat Cunnington again. They they got Serge Ibaka for another one year deal. Joe Ingles for a one year deal. Uh, Wesley Matthews for a one year deal. Bobby Portis. I think they overpaid him a little bit, but I mean, to secure that player, a good quality role player, energy player off the bench, uh, was really important in their run to win the to win the champ championship. Um, that's a solid solid. Uh, you know, free agency, uh, sign a bunch of signings right there. You know, I think the Bulls did a good job too, getting Warren Dragic, Dump, uh, Drummond, and, and Zach Levine. As far as the amount of cash flow output when it comes to that, is you know, I think they are one of the better winners there. Uh, and the Pelicans, of course, si- signing Zion. But I really like what the Bucks have done. Um, it really kind of uh, you know fortifies what they already have in their lineup, uh, which they have a lot of a lot of heat already as it is, as long as Milton stays healthy. And I think they are the um, 
the primary team so far as far as winning the free agency market right now. And uh, one thing that was, one was uh, that was kind of surprising to me was that uh, James Harden did uh, resign for uh, less dollars. Uh, now he's still uh, getting uh, 34 mil uh, uh, for each of the next two years. But uh, the fact that he did recognize that uh, uh, what he was expected, which is uh, around over 45 million, close to 47 million, uh, that uh, he did recognize that if he wanted to win, uh, that uh, he did have to uh, quote unquote sacrifice and uh, poor guy only has to make 34 million bucks. But uh, uh, that uh, uh, going uh, to that and uh, to uh, PAX uh, squad, the Atlanta Hawks, uh, Jerome is a passionate uh, basketball fan. You could hear him uh, call Atlanta Hawks games on color cast. Uh, there was a couple of big uh, pieces gone uh, from Atlanta. Uh, Jerome, uh, it seems that uh, Danilo Gallinari and uh, Kevin Herter uh, were uh, very key pieces last season. They are, uh, they have moved on. Um, what are your thoughts on what Atlanta has done so far? Yeah, so uh, obviously one of the biggest and trades of, of the season, uh, <laughs> one of the biggest Oops. trade of the offseason was the DeJounte Murray trade. Of course. And um, we had to give up a lot for that. Three first three first round picks and a pick swap. That is no easy trade. But, you know, I think they were able to just cover one of their biggest needs or two of their biggest needs in one fell swoop. They were able to get a secondary ball handler for Trey Young, which he's desperately needed. And I think that series against the Miami Heat really showed it. Um, they were able to just key in on Trey and force somebody else to beat him, and nobody else can beat him on a consistent basis. So you get in a guy in DeJounte Murray, who's averaged 21 points last year, and uh, he was an all-star this past year as well. And uh, also you needed another dude in there that could be a very good point of attack defender, like somebody that could guard the best like either point guard or shooting guard on the opposite team and you know as much as I like Kevin Herter he didn't really do that for Atlanta on a consistent basis not a consistent enough basis and that was a big reason why we were one of the bottom defensive teams in the league last year so just getting in somebody who can hide Trey a little bit more on defense is definitely a very huge thing for Atlanta and you know, uh, they were also able to get a few just minor signings like, uh, you know, in the Kevin Herter trade, they were able to get Aaron Holiday and Mo Harkless. And while I still think Kevin Herter is the best player in that deal, um, getting a first round pick back for Herter is decent. And, um, you know, the two role players we got aren't too bad. I like Aaron Holiday. I think uh He's just a solid role player. He's going to be able to come in, play a play slightly better defense than Herter, and also hit some threes. Um, you know, Mo Harkless, I don't know how much he's really going to be able to contribute, but knowing Nate McMillan, that's the kind of player that's going to play a little bit more than he really should. Um, and we also got Justin Holiday to be at the wing spot. So I think just the overall depth we have, especially like just from a defensive standpoint, it's a lot better. However, I will concede that Danilo Gallinari and Kevin Herter, we weren't able to replace that shooting. So you're banking on guys who have been serviceable to below average shooters to really come through. DeAndre Hunter, he's going to have to make his threes. John Collins has to keep making his threes. 
Anyeka Okungwu, he's been working on his three-point shot, but he hasn't really shot him in his first two years. And, you know, uh, A.J. Griffin, the rookie we just drafted out of Duke, you know, the only thing he could do in college, one of the main things was he was a knockdown shooter. So we may have to rely on a rookie more than we expected just because he's probably going to be one of the best shooters on the team outside of Bogdanovich, who's probably going to be injured coming into the season. But I think just the DeJounte Murray trade alone, I think that was the biggest trade of the offseason. And it may not come to fruition this year. I don't think we're going to be a title contender this year. But Trey Young is going to be 25 entering this year. DeJounte Murray is going to be 26. These are two former All-Stars who are just now entering the prime of their careers. And I think after a year of working out the kinks, um, I think that duo is definitely going to be one of the best backcourts in the league. Uh, that These two guys are really good. They complement each other really well. And uh, I, I really love the DeJounte Murray trade. I like what Atlanta did in the offseason, but I don't think it drastically transformed the team. And uh, forgot to mention Frank the Tank, you know, got to uh, shout him out. He was a, um, you know, March Madness legend, Frank Kaminsky. And, uh, you know, as far as like third centers go, you could do a lot worse than Frank Kaminsky. So um, I like what the Hawks did this offseason. And I definitely do think they had the biggest move, uh, despite the other move, the Rudy Gobert trade. That probably was the second biggest by far. Well, I mean, uh, I really love how I teed up uh, saying uh, that uh, uh, Danilo Gallinari uh, is not with Atlanta and didn't mention Dejounte Murray until you brought it up. But uh, I, 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 I am skeptical uh, with the fact that your two best players are in the backcourt. And to me, and uh, I know that you and I have talked about it uh, uh, since the trade happened, that I am not for your two best players being your point guard and your two guard. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I think that that I think that's the Portland Trailblazers. And with due respect to uh, Dame Lillard and uh, CJ McCollum, Portland didn't do anything, especially when it came okay. to playoff time. Do you think the okay, same thing yeah, could happen in Atlanta? Yeah, I understand that. Um, I think just to like counter that, I think, um, you know, a lot of what this team's philosophy has been since Travis Schlink has came in as the general manager and because uh, he's from the Golden State Warriors tree, like he was an assistant there for almost a decade. So I think that's really the idea that we had in trying to, you know, not only just draft Trey Young, but trying to find who the two guard next to him is going to be. So I think that, you know, I understand the comparisons that you make with, you know, two point guards being, you know, in the backcourt like CJ and Damian Lillard were. But I think DeJounte's defense is the real difference maker. I think he's dramatically better than CJ McCollum was at, on the defensive end. But, uh, you know, it's going to be it's going to take a lot more than just those two uh, backcourt players, though. Um, especially after we traded Kevin Herter, we're putting a lot of eggs in the, the, in the DeAndre Hunter basket. DeAndre Hunter, he has to be that top five player we drafted. I think his first and third years in the league, it's been a lot of flashes, but just overall inconsistency. And the only time he's been consistent was his second year when he had those two really good months, then got injured for basically the entire rest of the season. So, you know, uh, if it's just Trey and DeJounte, if they're the only ones playing consistently, but, you know, John Collins 
takes another step back. Clint Capella is injury riddled again. And DeAndre Hunter doesn't really come through. It definitely could look a lot like the Portland Trailblazers. But I think it is a good starting point when your two best players are the guards, just because this is still a guard oriented league. I still think, you know, when you're able to have two of the best guards in the league, that is a huge leg up on a lot of competition and not a lot of people can defend that. Um, but I definitely see your point. And, you know, our wings and our big men, they're definitely going to have to come through if the Hawks want to make some noise this season and in the future afterwards, too. Well, making noise uh, for all the wrong reasons is definitely the Brooklyn Nets. And mm. uh, they uh, uh, thought uh, what, the, what the rumor was is uh, Kyrie Irving, Irving was going to uh, want out or uh, – uh, uh, whatever I mean, Kyrie Irving the was circus saying. music man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh now uh, the talks are is that uh, Kevin Durant uh has requested a trade uh there's a lot of talk uh, of him uh, coming to uh Toronto Toronto was a uh uh one of uh, three teams especially around here who was uh uh highly considered for uh acquiring Durant via trade uh Tony where's Kevin Durant going well, first of all, thank God you didn't ask me to break down like the third center of the Atlanta Hawks. That was, uh, <laughs> well, you don't that know. Was, that was a great lesson. Thank you for that, Jerome. That was incredible. Yeah, uh, I, I, I couldn't break down the Raptors that way. That's for sure. I promise you that. But I'm not a avid <laughs> basketball guy. Um, I, I think Kevin Durant, Durant is going nowhere for the foreseeable future. I, I think I get the sense that Brooklyn's going to hang on and and wait for the best trade possible. I'm hearing that around November, December might be the most ideal time for the trade. Now, I don't know if there's uh, if, if the Brooklyn Nets are saying that just for the sake of saying it to, you know, to pick up the tempo on teams offers and stuff. But I get the sense that, hey, we got you locked in. You have no leverage here. And that's another thing. It's not often you see the player not have that kind of leverage. But w- what's he going to do? Is he going to sit out? If, if the Brooklyn Nets don't have him traded before the beginning of the season. Uh, from a Raptors perspective, um, you know, what's been proven in basketball time and time again is that if you don't have that guy, the star or, or even two of them, uh, your chances of winning the NBA championship are basically slim to none. So obviously Masai is looking to see if it's doable. I'm more intrigued with Donovan Mitchell. And his availability to see what's going on mm. there. I don't know. I, I could be wrong. Uh, you guys could just tell me I'm an idiot for thinking that. But <laughs> I like him. I like his age. I like the potential to have him not turn around next year and say, "Oh, I want to get traded uh, again," which is very a very real opportunity that 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 Kevin Durant can do. Right? It seems like this guy, you know, when the going gets rough, it, it's you know, I'm out of here. Um, and you're talking about Mitchell? No, no, about Kevin Durant. Okay, about right? Kevin so Durant. That's, that's why I'd be, as a Raptor fan, I'd be more intrigued of what it would take to get a player like Mitchell, someone who's younger. But I mean, I totally understand why. I mean, you'd be an idiot not to explore the opportunity to bring in a Kevin Durant. Well, you know, and, yeah, just one thing I would like to say uh, as it pertains to the Raptors. I've seen a lot of Raptors fans say that Scotty Barnes is off limits. Uh, let me just say 
do not let <laughs> Scotty Barnes prevent y'all from getting Kevin Durant. That's all I got to say. Like, I agree with I, I you. Know, I like Scotty as much as the next guy, but come on now. It, it's Kevin Durant. Don't let that be the reason y'all can't get a player of that caliber. He will instantly put you guys back in title contention. Yeah, right. I agree with that 100%. I think we, especially here in Toronto, we fall in love with that type of guy. And look, I think Scotty Barnes has the potential not just to be a great representative for the Raptors. I think he's got a potential to be a, a legitimate face for the city, someone that the whole city can, um, you know, revolve around. He's just got this infectious smile. He seems like he's a genuinely good kid, but you're absolutely right. In the NBA, if you have a chance to get that guy, just like we did a few years ago with uh, Kawhi, you take it. And, you know, a fan favorite like DeMar DeRozan went the other way. And a lot of people were upset about it. And Kyle Lowry was really pissed off about it. But guess what, Kyle? You got your ring, not because of mm -hmm. DeMar, because of Kawhi. So I, I'm with you 100% on that. Yeah, I, I disagree completely on this. I mean, I know we talked about RC on the small cast that I did as well on Color Cast. I mean, I think, I mean, I'm a huge Kevin Durant fan. I think you're going to have to give up Siakam or definitely, or Barnes. I mean, you're going to have to give up one of them, that's for sure. And we've seen Kevin Durant, he struggled even with OKC, he struggled this, this season with Brooklyn, with all the names that they had on that roster, he struggled because there's nobody else to actually penetrate, open up, and create offense. Um, aside from Kyrie, who was, you know, available, not available for, you know, for maybe like one third of the season. And so, I mean, KD was on an island by himself. He wasn't able to create. I think he did. He lost a lot of passion. Nobody played defense on that team. That's for damn sure. So we're looking at a situation where you're bringing a guy who has a lot of experience, a lot of miles on him, a lot of basketball he's played even overseas or just in the last few years. So is he worth it? Of course he's worth it, but you're giving up a lot of talent in Toronto. I mean, it's not going to be the same equivalent to when you had Kawhi on that team because everybody stayed there. You got Kyle, you got Kyle Lowry gone. I mean, you got, you got um, Gasol, who's gone, who was a fort. He was a fort down low on defense or rebound. So you lost a lot of guys, uh, Ibaka. So I don't think it'll be a really good fit if they get Kevin Durant on that roster, even though he is a stalwart. Okay. So I asked the question about Donovan Mitchell. Break it down for me, guys. Like, I'm, you guys are the experts. Would he be more intriguing than Kevin Durant? Um, Donovan Mitchell, like, now, like, he has he definitely has the youth on Kevin Durant. Obviously, he's not as great of a player as he is, but Donovan Mitchell has definitely shown up in the playoffs a lot more often. And I think if you're entertaining that idea, then that probably means that you're willing to part ways with Fred Van Bleet. And uh, it's probably going to take a lot more, too, just because, you know, um, based on what we hear from the rumors with Danny Ainge, he's not going to let Donovan Mitchell go lightly. It's going to take at least, you know, four or five first round picks, some absurd number of picks and whatnot. Um, I think in that scenario, though, uh, Scotty Barnes definitely should be off the table just because, you know, I don't really think that, you know, pairing Van Vliet with Donovan Mitchell is really going to work. Um, right. you may have to entertain giving up Siakam too, but you know, Donovan Mitchell, I really do like the player just because like he has proven to be like, maybe not in the regular season, a superstar, but in the playoffs, 
he can definitely carry that scoring mantle and uh, just be that go-to guy that can get you a bucket whenever you need it. I think, um, you know, if I don't know if you watched the NBA bubble, but him and Jamal Murray were just going at it that whole first round series. And if it wasn't for Jamal Murray constantly dropping 40 balls and 50 balls, uh, you know, the Jazz definitely would have beat the Nuggets that year and advanced to the next round. But Donovan Mitchell, since his rookie year, he's been a great playoff performer. So I would definitely love to see him go to a culture like Toronto or like a Miami even. Um, if he goes to the Knicks, I, I really don't know how well that would work just because I, I don't really know like if he can be the guy to get the Knicks out of that like you know purgatory that they're in. They'd definitely be a playoff team, but it'd be really similar to when Carmelo Anthony went to the Knicks. And uh, I think really, if you put him in a winning environment, uh, Donovan Mitchell can definitely just be that game changer for the Raptors and for Miami. Um, but you would have to give up quite a lot for him. And just like with Kevin Durant, um, I'm not sure if it's like too worth it for, um, you know, Donovan Mitchell. Kevin Durant, I think if you want to be in title contention today, then it's absolutely worth it. But Donovan Mitchell doesn't necessarily do that, but I do love him as a player. Well, uh, now, if my uh, math is right, with Donovan Mitchell starting in uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell's rookie year being in 2017, he's only won two playoff series. That's true. So that's true. Now, his stats are off the charts in the regular season, but how much of a difference maker could a guy like Donovan Mitchell be? Is he one of those guys? That is all flash, but no substance. Because there's a lot of them out there in the NBA. Yeah, that's been the knock on him. And I know we've talked about it. I mean, on definitely on ColorCast as well on the app, you know, talked about how he's considered a front runner by, by the media for sure. Um, he's, a, he's a solid player. He plays in a smaller market um, for sure, relative to, of course, the Lakers of the world, the Boston Celtics of the world. So, I mean... What do you do if you put him in Toronto? Toronto is still a, is is become a prominent basketball town this uh, these days, of course, especially with winning the championship with Kawhi. So I think you'd be a good fit if you go one for one with Van Fleet, unless you, but you don't want to give up too much with Barnes and of course Siakam. Um, but I mean, he hasn't shown much in the playoffs. But I think if he has solid veteran presence around him, I think that's the key for a player like him. He's just I I don't know if he's got that fire in his belly to really be like that, that mama mentality like Kobe, Kobe had, just not – we haven't seen it from him yet. So he's definitely a front runner in my book. I think he needs to be matched up with some veteran presence for him to be in a successful environment. I don't know, man. I think I was really just sold on him since his rookie year when, uh, when he took out as a rookie Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony. Um, I, I think I've just always been a fan since then. And I think a lot of them – the reason why that he hasn't really done too much in the playoffs or like, at least in terms of like winning series, it has a lot to do with just being on the Utah jazz. And it seems like they just get the short end of the stick whenever it comes to playoff series, you know, whether they always have to play the Kevin Durant led warriors or the James Harden led rockets that seem to be their kryptonite all the time. Um, definitely toward the end though, you know, last year when it was Luca and the Mavericks, like you, you got to be able to win that series with Luca being out through the first three games. And uh, I definitely understand like those criticisms because after that series, you know, it, it does kind of come into question with him and Rudy Gobert. Like 
how how much do they affect playoff basketball? Um, I think that's a fair question, but I also think that it does have to do with just the way the Jazz have built the team around him and uh, around Donovan Mitchell, not necessarily putting the best pieces around them to succeed in the playoffs. I do always feel like Donovan Mitchell himself always tends to come through and shine whenever his team needs him. So being in an environment like a Toronto or Miami, um, I think that would definitely help him out. And I think he can definitely, he has the potential to be that really good go-to guy that we've seen him do in, in the past, but you're right about like, you know, the jazz not really winning many playoff series, but I think that might just be more Utah than it is Donovan. Well, uh, if, Donovan Mitchell uh, does get traded to Toronto. I don't see him and Fred Van Vliet playing on the same team. Mm-mm. Not at all. Uh, that being said, I don't see it being a one-for-one one Donovan Mitchell for Fred Van Vliet. So no. are you giving up an OG Ananobi? Are you giving up uh, somebody uh, like a Gary Trent Jr.? Uh, with regards to Kevin Durant, I am 100% on Prince's side on this. There is no way I am going to trade Scotty Barnes for Kevin Durant. <laughs> because the way I see it, and Scotty. Uh, Scotty. <laughs> actually, hey, uh, do you see my uh, Scotty jersey there? So uh, the I way I smile. see it, four. Yeah, number four, the true number four, with all due respect <laughs> to Chris Bosch. I mean, but uh, uh, the way I see it, Kevin Durant is uh 1a in terms of uh best player in the league uh surefire i mean uh you know he should be a hall of famer before he retires but the reality is is that he is owed 104 million dollars at uh before his 38th birthday so how are you going to give this kind of dough to a person who is injury prone and like uh, Tony said, and I completely agree with the fact that Scotty Barnes has all this potential, uh, but, you know, he may not be that guy. Completely get it. However, when Kevin Durant leaves, for whatever team, uh, you are giving up the future. And it's only going to be such a short shelf life. And, and also, I, I guess the- I just trust, like, I just trust Toronto's system. Like, I think Kevin Durant there in that uh, Toronto culture, um, I think it'll just be a much better fit than what he is in Brooklyn. I, I think load management will be a factor in Toronto as well, as they, they've had good practice doing it because uh, you mentioned his age, and he's had an Achilles injury, and that's that's one of the worst injuries you could have as an athlete. Not easy to bounce back from, uh, and who knows – how that's affecting affecting him as well. Uh, but I think another factor is, like I said, playing with a team like Toronto who's, who dealt with Kawhi's situation about as perfect as you could ask for, that might be an ideal situation for him here as well. Mm-hmm. This is What's Up the Sports podcast with uh, Tony Antonio. I am Randy Coure along with Prince M., uh, uh, Prince Metalia, as well as the PAC's own Jerome Botang. Anybody who has a question, feel free to chime in. Uh, if you are listening via Apple's ColorCast app, uh, even if you do have a question, uh, we'd love to uh, give you the uh, a mic for a minute. And if you do have any questions for us, but uh, in the end, uh, you know, I, I, and Tony alluded to this as well that I don't think uh, I think this is all just smoke. 
I think he's going to stay in Brooklyn. I I, I don't see, uh, obviously, uh, DeAndre Ayton is uh, returning uh, to Phoenix. Uh, uh, Miami uh, Miami is uh, possible, but I I mean, I heard Tyler Hero, but uh, to me, and uh, yes, he, uh, he is a uh, sixth man of the year, but uh, you're not going to give up a bench player uh, <laughs> solely for Kevin Durant. You got to give up a hell of a lot more. So uh, everything being said, and quite frankly, I still think Brooklyn could be a contender because whatever Ben Simmons is, Ben Simmons is still a decent enough player. Now, if he uh, is not a baby or if he's not, uh, you know, uh, if he doesn't have more issues than Kyrie Irving and if Kyrie Irving can uh, lay off and show uh, his true colors, I still think Brooklyn can be a contender for the East. I totally yeah, agree. I think, oh, yeah, go ahead, Prince. Well, well, first of all, it's Antonio, not Tony, right? <laughs> we found out the real name. <laughs> um, no, Tony, well, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot more fancier than we expected. So uh, I, we talked about that on, on, on the show that I had, of course, in ColorCast as well. I mean, Brooklyn Nets Project, It's I think they're always going to be a threat. And Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are huge friends. That's why they wanted to stick together. And, you know, real quick, talking about Toronto, he loved that opportunity because it'd be across the border, the culture in Toronto. And that's what he he he, he loves. He, he talked about, you know, playing overseas at some point, possibly at this point of his career. He's won the championship. Sure, he's he wants to win more, but he he loves to to be in new environments and new cultures and and really expand his experiences. But in terms of Brooklyn, I mean, you have those two guys, Ben Simmons, like you said, absolutely. He's still a quality player in that right environment with K- with KD, you know, uh, and Irving, you know, veterans that really have, um, you know, definitely a sense of arrogance when they play on the court. I think that's going to be a good, it's going to rub off really well if Simmons actually does play basketball for once. Mm. Um, and they need some size. That's the biggest thing. Uh, Blake Griffin was a nice experience. I think Aldridge was a really good piece before he had that heart murmur issue, but I think he was a pretty good piece. They need some size. They've always lacked some size. And with Steve Nash kind of being influenced by D'Antoni's system a lot, you know, you got to bring some defensive prowess. They lacked a lot of that against the Celtics. They could not bring any defense, even with the level, the kind of names they had. I think Patty Mills is still, they re-signed Patty Mills. He's a good role player. They got Harris, I think, still on the roster, if I, if I believe that's correct. And, I mean, they just got a lot of good players. So they definitely have a chance to contend. No doubt about it. I am really excited to see if they do sign somebody else because I'm a fan. Um, that's don't sleep on that team, and he's going to definitely stay with the Brooklyn Nets. Nobody's taking him. Can you imagine you know, if Brooklyn wins the championship? Uh, when after, after everything is said and done, can you imagine if Brooklyn actually wins the NBA title? Uh, that, yeah, yeah, I could see it. Yeah. it. It would be crazy for them not to give it a shot. It, there's been too much uh, the last two years between COVID and having to sit through Durant's off year with his injury and stuff. I mean, they have not really, really, really legitimately had a chance to play a lot together. So I, I don't know. And that's a huge factor as well. They just, yeah. been a lot of people, it's just been a, a lot of rotation um, as far as rosters. I mean, losing Harden was a huge one. I thought they had a definite chance with that team. They almost beat, they probably should have beat, the actual the Bucks. If Irving would have stayed healthy on their roster, they just they've run across. They've been unfortunate uh, unf- uh, with, with their situation. That's for sure. And um, they need some size, but that's the biggest thing. They need some size. So if they I definitely fortifies that roster with some more size, 
I think they're going to be a little bit more of a contender because the Celtics showed us what they can do now in that division. The, the, the Heat showed us again, once again, what they can do. And of course, on the West, we know kind of dogs that are on that side as well. So um, these these rosters are deep. So they're going to have to add some more pieces because Katie couldn't do it on his own against the Celtics. They were swarming them all, all series. Um, I think they're definitely interesting uh, team like uh, in the Eastern Conference. Um, I understand why people think they're a title contender. Um, Personally, I think they're going to be a really good regular season team. But when it all when it's all said and done, I just don't see them being anything more than a second round exit. Just because I just feel like you know, for one, Kyrie, he's been trying to angle all summer to get to the Lakers. So it's very possible he probably just has one foot out the door right now. Um, and also Ben Simmons, for as good as he's been in the regular season, once the playoff time comes, you know, we all know how he plays and his limitations really start to creep up on you. And uh, when you're when you're going against teams like the Celtics and the Bucks. Um, they're the type and the Heat too. They're the type of teams that will expose every last one of your weaknesses and push you to the brink. Um, on top of that, you add Kevin Durant, who now he's moving into his mid-30s. Those injuries that were just slight before, they start to linger on for the rest of the season. And I, for whatever reason, I just I can't really see them getting past to the finals this year. I think it's destined that they're going to fall apart in the playoffs. Mm. It may be close. It may be a really close seven-game series they lose, but I don't think they're going to reach the finals. And I think from there, Kyrie Irving is going to go to the Lakers. And I think at that point, when Cam Thomas gets to be the full-time point guard, that's when they may be able to go all the way to the finals. Because at that point, Ben Simmons will have a year under him with Kevin Durant. And I think next year may be a better time for Brooklyn, despite not having Kyrie. I just think that after everything that's happened this offseason, it just doesn't really seem like everyone is focused on one singular goal. Um, I think that they're going to be a good regular season because they have the talent. But once the playoffs come, you know, you got to be lock and step. And uh, Steve Nash, I think he's going to show himself again. And they're probably going to move off of him. And once they get a real coach in there, get Kyrie off the team, I think that's when we can really see the Brooklyn Nets play to their full potential. And uh, hopefully, I I hope for good with Ben Simmons, because I think him being next to Kevin Durant and Kyrie is going to be good for him for a year. But I just really don't see them being a title team this year. Maybe next year, but not this season. Is Steve Nash the problem? Yeah, I was going to talk about that. Drum, I'm feeling you, dog. You're the NBA expert here. Not myself, that's for <laughs> sure. But I, I mean, you're killing it. But I mean, I, I feel Steve Nash isn't the true problem. He hasn't got a full shot at the deal. Mm-hmm. They had a good team. They had a fantastic roster with Harden. They messed it up. Irving was injured. That's for sure. Uh, some there's some interesting play calls definitely lay in that series. But they took him to seven, took the Bucks to seven. I think Steve Nash certainly is is a learning curve when it comes to him being a new coach. That's for sure. I didn't like the Dan Tony hire. I got my own personal opinions on Dan Tony as a coach, uh, definitely as a um, as an assistant coach. I think they need to focus more on the defensive end of the floor. Um, I think he has the mind. I think he has the drive. He definitely has the level of talent on his team with KD. Um, 
I just think, you know, he just needs the right players and he needs enough time. Um, but I do agree that they're not going to be uh, more than a second round exit if they even get that far. And I think Nash, unfortunately, as most in most cases in, in most uh, in, in American sports, you know, the coach gets the the kibosh and he's going to get gonna the throw him under the bus. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to be thrown on the bus, unfortunately. Um, but I think hopefully he gets another opportunity. Let's see what happens. Let, let's see Let's see if he, he succeeds this season. I love to see it personally because I'm a huge Steve Nash fan myself. Yeah, you know, hey, he could probably go back to Golden State, you know, that Golden State rehabilitation, you know, be, be an assistant coach there for a few years, you know, take the Kenny Atkinson route. You know, I, I think Steve Nash can be a good coach, but this team – it, it needs somebody that's like gonna like hold the superstars accountable and a guy like Steve, he's just too, a little too much of a player's coach for this particular team. And uh, you know, after another year where they lose in the playoffs and only make it to the second round, I think Kevin Durant's going to be more willing to have a more hard nosed coach that's going to get on them rather than somebody that's going to let them do whatever they want to. So this year, I just don't think it's going to gel together, but they do, they are very, very talented and you know, Hey, injuries, if they fall in place for Brooklyn, you never know what could happen. I just can't really see it this year. Yeah. And remember, I mean, KD and Irving, KD specifically recruited Nash. I mean, so they definitely wanted a player's coach. Irving did not want to be in that, you know, um, program that he was with in in the Celtics with Brad Stevens he did not want to work on like improving every day he knows he's good already as it is he didn't want to come in every day showing that he's improving he just want to go play ball and so he was in the perfect situation KD was in the perfect situation so I don't know let's if it, if it doesn't work out I don't know if those two gentlemen are going to stay with the organization I think he might look for a coach with that kind of demeanor but it might not be with the Brooklyn Nets at that point I think they might not might not even be with the team at that point mm -hmm. uh, so let's see what happens I I just wonder uh, what kind of coach could uh could handle that kind of e those kind of egos uh you know with uh I mean yeah sure Phil Jackson uh, handled uh, Michael Jordan and uh, Scotty Pippen, Kobe and Shaq. Uh, I mean, now Darvin Ham is in uh, L.A., so Darvin Ham is going to be the difference maker, and he's going to bring uh, uh, L.A. a championship with LeBron and uh, Melo still there. And uh, I mean, with Steve Nash, uh, rookie coach, but uh, with uh, his kind of uh, apparent. Uh, mindset and that he is uh, a very uh, thoughtful uh, as at least as a player who would uh, uh, be uh, who could uh, who is a better choice uh, to coach uh, that Brooklyn Nets team but uh, I mean I, I do agree with uh, what the consensus is is that uh, you know is Steve Nash uh, gonna have that chance and uh, I'd be very surprised if uh, if in fact he does. I mean, hey, if if Brooklyn wants to take Nick McMillan off our hands, hey, listen, I'll I'll pay for the plane ticket to Brooklyn, okay? Uh, so hey, look, if, if things go how I think with Atlanta, hey, Nate McMillan, he's gonna be out of here, and that that honestly, that sounds like a coach that could work in Brooklyn. You know, he's a very stubborn guy, but you know, uh, he gets the most out of his guys in the regular season at least. But yeah, um, you know, if they want Nate McMillan. He's he's right there for the taking, and we can move on and find somebody that'll utilize Trey and Dejounte. 
<laughs> not a not a uh, Nate guy, huh? Well, uh, that's a little surprising to hear, actually, because uh, uh, do you uh, not think that uh, Nate and Trey are getting along there in uh, Atlanta? You know, I, I just think that especially after last season, like um, it seems like Nate's the kind of guy where he's going to stick to what he does no matter what, no matter if it's not working with the team. Like he has a set plan and he's going to go along with it. Like he has 10, the 10 guys that he's going to play and he's going to play them. And even if, you know, a young player can be better suited for a certain role, uh, he's just going to go with the guy that, guys that he's comfortable with. And uh, I think even like, you know, I talked briefly about AJ Griffin, how he's a knockdown shooter and yeah, he's gonna He may play in his rookie year and he's probably going to be bad on defense. But a guy that could just knock down open shots is going to be so crucial on this team, especially after Danilo Gallinari and Kevin Herter is gone. But knowing Nate McMillan, he's not going to play the rookies. And I won't be surprised if he just doesn't play the young guys and just sticks with the decent role players. Um, and, you know, that's been his problem since Indiana, where even in the playoffs, like he'll get to the playoffs and when things are obviously not working and he has to switch up his approach, he just won't do it. Um, and it, I don't know, like, uh, if he really knows how to utilize guys like John Collins and, uh, you know, guys like, um, Deandre Hunter, the bet in the best way, but, that's just my two cents on Nate McMillan. I think that, you know, the first year he came in, it was really good. Uh, anybody would have been better than Lloyd Pierce. But I think after next year, if we don't get any playoff success, it's probably going to have run its course. And, um, you know, ironically enough, I do think for Brooklyn, that's the kind of coach that could come in and command respect from guys like Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant. But uh, for Atlanta, they need a fresh, young approach, somebody that's going to adjust and somebody that's going to be able to utilize Trey Young to his best abilities. Dare I say Mike, D Mike D'Antoni? Dare oh, I say that? Really? <laughs> oh, come on. Could you imagine Trey Young with Mike D'Antoni now? Like, just, just think about that. Uh, it would be fun. Yeah, be, he be, is expired. Like, like, <laughs> 98. You know what I mean? Be I mean, come on. Like, take take the over every game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, Dan Tony's okay. allergic to defense. I mean, like, how okay. can you, uh, like, uh, okay, I mean, no, I get it. I, I get it. I, I get Dan it. Tony, I get it. Y'all are probably right. But he only spends I, 30 minutes on defense in practice, according to Amari Stoudemire, when, when he was playing with the Phoenix Suns and, and with the Lakers, too. So, I mean, Dan Tony should not be a head coach anywhere. Any, I don't think anymore. I think he's a fantastic offensive guru, but he has limitations on, on defense. And I certainly would love to do a case study on this because. Uh, I think he gets way too much praise, and he's way overrated. I I could not agree more. I mean, like, uh, Drew, uh, Pac, you got to think of it this way, that uh, D'Antoni's peak was at an NBA that was a lot different than what it is now. Mm -hmm. Hey, look, y'all are probably right, but, but you know the <laughs> one player that would love him? Trey, that he would be his absolute favorite coach. Mm. But – uh. Hey, I wonder. Uh, here. A lot of players would love him. A lot of players yeah. would love him because because they allow him to play freely, play offense, you shoot shoot everywhere. But as far as like winning, they're gonna hate him and they're not gonna like it. Yeah, no, y'all 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 are probably right. Uh, you know, we 
it's you know hopefully like i would i'm looking towards somebody like kenny atkinson uh he's in golden state right now that that's who i would love to be our next coach um he did some good things in brooklyn before kd went there and uh like that's that's my honest answer but you know like the back of my mind is always thought man you know i would love to see dan tony come in and Trey just averaged 35 points, 10 assists per game. And, uh, but we probably just lose in the second round too. Like it, it probably <laughs> wouldn't be that much different, but it'd be some fun basketball. I tell you. Yeah, yeah, no, it certainly would be. It certainly would be. So uh, we had uh, discussed uh, PAX team uh, Atlanta. We discussed uh, Prince and my team uh, Toronto. Of course, uh, Toronto is Tony's team as well, but Near and dear to his heart is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Let's talk about a little hockey, guys. And uh, NHL free agency uh, has uh, coincided with uh, NBA free agency, amongst other things. And uh, Tony, being a uh, big uh, Pittsburgh Penguins fan, I would be remiss uh, to uh, 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 begin uh, with those uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. There was a small rumor of Evgeny Malkin perhaps leaving the uh, one team that he has played his entire illustrious career. Uh, Tony, uh, he has resigned. Uh, same with uh, Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, what do you think about your squad? And Chris Letang. And, and Dan Chris Heinen. Letang. And they'll probably resign Evan Rodriguez. And they'll probably lose in the first round again, uh, which would make <laughs> it fifth, fifth year in a row. Um, look, uh, they've delivered that core that group they've been together since 2005 Malkin was drafted second overall in 2004 Latang and Crosby were both 2005 drafts so these guys have delivered and I can't complain I can't be upset you know 15 plus years of playoff hockey uh, the longest playoff streak in any team sport in North America belongs to the Pittsburgh Penguins they arguably have the best coach one of the best coaches in hockey. Uh, it, it's all wonderful, you know, and, and sentimentally, I'm the fact that these three guys are going to finish their careers together on the same team wire to wire is great. But two things can be true at the same time. And sentimentally, this is great. I have no problem with it. But anybody in that organization, in the media, or any other Penguin fan want to tell me that they are still a Stanley Cup contender, should probably go have a, an evaluation done, get on some kind of meds, stay off the crack or whatever. You cannot win in the National Hockey League uh, a Stanley Cup with your top three centermen being 35 and over, your number one defenseman being 35 and over. Uh, and these are go-to guys, regular guys. The, the coach leans on these guys game in, game out. I just don't think it's sustainable anymore. So... I'm resigned to the fact that I'm going to sit back and enjoy, you know, watching these guys go out uh, in uh, just enjoying their careers, thanking them. It's, it's a farewell tour essentially for all three of these guys. <laughs> it is. And Kasperi Kapanen, I would have walked from him. You know, he's like that hot chick. That's always like cock teasing you and stuff. And, and you're, <laughs> You're no, seriously, it's just, you know, you're getting excited. You watch him play, you get excited. Just same thing with that chick. You, you know, she's throwing field, but at the end of the day, she's like, uh, she's moved on. She's just playing with you. 
And it's the same thing with Kasperi Kapanen. So I, I don't understand giving him a two-year deal at three point whatever million they've given him to. But, hey, I can't complain. You know, I'm not a Leaf fan, thank God. Uh, I've seen my team win Stanley Cups. I, oh. I You know, and, <laughs> and that's it. All right, brother. I mean, listen, you're going to love me. Though. I mean, I'm a huge Leafs fan till ever. But I mean, I'm going to tell you, I do like the Penguins, RC. I do kind of like the Penguins. 87 is my guy. I was born in 87. So, mm-hmm. I was born in Canada, so oh, nice. I mean, Captain Canada. I got to love him. I mean, when it comes to Malkin, I mean, honestly, he's the best player on the team. I mean, a lot of people might not like this comment, but oh, you're insane. I think he is the most important player on that team. He is a two way player. I think I think Crosby. People don't realize Crosby does likes to cheat too much, and he gets caught in the defensive zone. He's sloppy. His his uh, plus minus kind of gets sloppy, uh, even in the postseason. Certainly a dynamic player. One of my favorites. One of the best in the league in the last decade for sure. But Malkin is the most important player for that team. They won cha- They won two the two championships they won with Murray. Of course, we're going to talk about soon is because of Malkin. Um, of course, the one that they won with Flurry as well. That was with Malkin. That's all Malkin, a lot of it, because, you know, he's a turnover machine. And when they had Michelle Terry in, I mean, he was the primary guy that they had in that lineup, killing penalties, you know, turning over the puck. They asked him to do everything. So, I mean. Who, Malkin? He, yeah, you know Malkin. Malkin, I mean, Malkin never killed a penalty. He never killed penalties. You can put him up there. No, he never killed penalties. Malkin's pro- – I agree with that. Uh, 2009 Stanley Cup championship was he was the Conn Smythe trophy winner he was the MVP and yeah he he carried that team wire to wire but the difference between the two guys and and I disagree with Sidney Crosby not being a better all-around player he's he's improved that all-around game by leaps and bounds over the last five years I'd say he's probably one of the best face-off guys in the league I mean he's not Patrice Bergeron by any stretch of the imagination but uh, there's a lot of part to that game that's that's become. But I, I rely on Sid more than I would Malkin. I think Sid's a healthier guy. I think Sid is a smarter guy, more economical. And more importantly, I think Sid's not doesn't lose his mind in the worst moments possible, which is what uh, Evgeny Malkin is synonymous with doing. But having said all that, it, it doesn't matter. I love both guys, and I think both guys brought – without the two, it, it didn't work. It wouldn't have worked. Uh, and there would be no Stanley Cup championships. There's, there's no question about it. So I never, I was never the type of guy to compare the two. They're both different types of players. When Malkin's on, dynamic, dynamic beyond belief. A better offensive player, I'll give you that. Like um, in well, terms of, in terms of, think, yeah, I, I don't think he's a better offensive player. I think he's a better all-around player. Personally, I think, I think he did kill penalties with Dan Bilesma. Maybe not the first, first year they won it, but they did start killing penalties a little bit uh with Sid he's definitely not a better face-off man he's the guy they count on power plays with with puck entries as well and he plays on the second line with some guys and he started playing down low which was not originally his his style of play being a Russian too so I think what he brings to that team is just invaluable uh I mean Sid of course is is the franchise as far as bringing the offensive output and and the the name of the the name of the franchise uh, you know, but as far as, you know, making sure that team is going to be doing all the little things, turning over the puck and, and making sure they're controlling the neutral zone. I think Evgeny Malkin is deeply underrated as to what he provides that team uh, every single season. 
Well, I don't think you've been watching a lot of their games over, the, especially in the playoffs over the last few years. He's been a turnover machine, and you know what? So is Latang. Uh, but Latang, you know, when you're a number one defenseman playing, you know, close to thirty minutes a game, it's impossible that you're not going to make mistakes and turn the puck over. You're just, you're on the ice way too many times, so you take the good with the bad. My issue with Evgeny Malkin is that he he's a very stubborn guy, and you know it it affects his play at times and he loses his cool. But in terms of not turning the puck over or whatever, I, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know if I, I just, I watch every penguin game and those are the, the, those little things that you talk about are the things that bother me about him. But having said all that, you know, they've delivered, they've won, they've done the job. I think at this stage, we're talking about it, the grand scope where we are in 2022 to ask a team to make a sustainable Stanley Cup championship run when the majority of your team, the most important guys, are 35 and over, that's a, that's a tall order. That's a tough ask. Absolutely. I, you know, so I don't know what they are. I think they can make the playoffs. I certainly think they're good enough to make the playoffs. Um, I think if Tristan Jari was not injured this these past playoffs, they would have finished off the Rangers in the first round, no question about it, but I just, I don't see it. I don't know what they are, I, but having said all that, I am totally fine when seeing, with seeing these guys right off in the sunset together and alone. I think it's so rare in sports to keep one guy around from, you know, start to finish career. So the fact that you've been able to hang on to all three of your guys, your important core, I think it's huge. So I, it's bittersweet, but, I, but it's more sweet for me. If they never won a Stanley Cup and they made these moves, I'd be like, what, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, give me a break. But with three cups under their belt, I can sit back and relax and just say, well, whatever. Let's see what happens. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think they should definitely ride off on the sunset. You know, the Mew Yager never got the chance to stay together for, the, for their full That's uh, right career but as far as what i was mentioning just real quick is uh is more in, in regards to malkin uh creating turnovers not called you know not oh, oh sorry sorry yeah okay. so i mean i haven't been yeah. watching to, to be transparent but um certainly uh, if that that's that, that that's been the theme then that's been the theme but you know it's they have the roster they have a lot of miles on them though those guys even sid crosby was injured when he was putting up a lot of numbers in the last couple seasons uh two years ago specifically if i remember if I recall correctly um and so, I mean, that's going to, you know, Latang's logging a lot of minutes. I think Kapanen's definitely, uh, you know, who's the third line center? Is it Getzel or is it? It's, is it no, it's it's Jeff Carter. So he's Jeff Carter, Jeff Carter, yeah. a lot of minutes, as you know, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, even yeah. with the Kings. So, I mean, that's a quality roster is a deep roster. Sullivan knows what he's doing. He rotates the lines, a lot of speed and skill as, as you've seen, especially when they, they took the sharks out. With, with Joe Thornton and Marlowe. I mean, that team, you know. That was a different team, though, right? That was that was, that was, that was six years team. ago. Completely fairly, different team fairly. six years ago. The they were, they were all similar. speed then. Yeah. Yeah, they were all speed. But the DNA is fairly similar, fairly similar to be uh, to, for the most part. But, you know, there's definitely not as much depth as there used to be uh, on that team. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of miles on that team. So, I mean, yeah, they definitely – It's I'm, I'm happy to see it. Um, I think they need maybe – some help on the blue line. Do you agree with that? I well, think they added, they added Jeff Petrie. So again, it's an older guy, but I like him because I think he's a solid defenseman. I think he's going to be extremely reliable just below Chris Letang. And I, 
and I think he's a better power play quarterback than Chris Letang. Right. The problem is Mike Sullivan is a very loyal guy, so I don't know if he's going to give him those types of minutes and that type of opportunity. But I like that pickup because here you are. If you if you think you can go for it, you might as well bring in another veteran guy to try and help this team out. So Jeff Petrie was a good pickup. Um, yeah. uh, we'll see. Like I, I'm, I'm not in any way confident that there's another Stanley Cup uh, on the horizon for this team. It's and it's not just because of them. It's because the rest of the league is just younger and better. The Eastern Conference is only going to get stronger. The Rangers will be a better team than last year, and they made the Eastern Conference final. Carolina's going to be better. Yeah, Carolina's good. Carolina's going to be uh, an amazing team. And then you got the Buffalo Sabres are coming up. Uh, Ottawa Senators, you can't overlook. You know, it's just it's just the natural progression of sports. It's how it works. The young guns are going to come up. There's going to be young. The Penguins did it to a bunch of other teams back in 2008, 2009, right? So it's just happening to to us now, and I'm okay with it. I'm you know, I get it. I'm happy. I'm going to be happy when all their numbers go up in the Raptors. They'll probably be all together when it happens. Well, maybe not. They should give Sid his own night because he deserves it. And uh, the other two, uh, whatever, whenever they can get around to it. <laughs> but you know, Tony, uh, it, and uh, I could totally appreciate uh, the romance of it all of your star player playing the entire career. Uh, like Kobe Bryant did, uh, uh, I can't. Uh, Martin Brodeur. Well, he did play one year in St. Louis, I guess, but it was only nine games. About, I, I guess. Well, hey, ben, ben Roethlisberger to stick with Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Dan ben Marino. Uh, but uh, you know, like the old saying goes, I mean, the show must go on. And uh, as you said, Jeff Carter, uh, Chris Letang, Sidney Crosby, Kenny Malkin. I mean. At some point, they're going to have to turn the page. And, I mean, if I was ownership, I would, at the end, I would say, what have you done for me lately? And, I, and this... I'm not, I'm not going to, I mean, uh, very quickly, I'm not going to uh, send uh, Malkin to crappy team A for a six-round pick. Uh, but, I mean, there is, uh, there is a need to... Uh, keep that tradition of winning going. Well, this is where it surprised me because this is a new ownership group. I mean, yeah, Mario Lemieux is still in place as, as um, president of the team or whatever his role is now. Uh, wine drinker, wine drinker in his press box every game <laughs> with Ty Domi for some reason, which drives me nuts. Is Ty hanging um, out over there? Okay. Oh, they're best know. friends. They're best is friends. Is that right? Him and Ty. Oh, yeah, yeah. We joke around. I call Max Domi his godson. But um, <laughs> uh, security guard, so I thought I thought with a new ownership group that there was going to be more of that. Plus, you had, you know, Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, who weren't married to these guys. But as it turns out that this this was the plan, I'm sure I'm sure Sidney Crosby had some say in it, too. And he's not a guy who usually does that. But I'm sure when it came to this, it was like, no, we kind of want to see us, you know, see this thing off together. They felt really snake bitten by this past series. This this last series against the Rangers had Tristan Jari been healthy. I think it'd be a different story because they dominated that Ranger team in the first round. Mm -hmm. uh, but the bottom line is they didn't win the round and that's four straight first round losses now. And you, you know, you can't take that back. And I don't know how much better you get when everybody's a year older. 
Yeah. Well, uh, I do want to uh, take a quick second and thank uh, Jake3152 uh, for the comment. Jake, uh, I've uh, been on his uh, show on uh, ColorCast. Uh, he's from the New York area. He's a Rangers fan and uh, said uh, that uh, the team, the Penguins, uh, is not a championship team. It is time to make changes. And, you know, as much as uh, I definitely agree with Jake and I could definitely appreciate uh, what Tony uh, is uh, alluding to and uh, but it just kind of not to the same degree because uh, Crosby for example is not the same degree of a Kyle Lowry but when Toronto was in Tampa the trade uh, they didn't trade Lowry mid-season I definitely thought that the Raptors could have gotten a piece for Kyle Lowry during uh, that year in Tampa uh, they didn't they eventually traded him, uh, you know, for Goran Dragic of all places, uh, for all uh, players. But, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it was a time where I thought Toronto still could have made the playoffs. So, uh, you know, uh, and it, it is interesting to see. Now, uh, you know, I personally don't want to see Evgeny Malkin uh, being, uh, you know, uh, wearing a different jersey, 100%. But, mm-hmm. you know, like I said before, uh, it is about winning. Well, listen, in my world, and you could ask one of my buddies who's a Penguins fan, we text every day about the Penguins, you know, (laughs) and and in our world, we wanted both Gino and Latang to walk and use that cap space to bring in Nazem Kadri to kind of reboot this team. Like, uh, that's a a player for as an example. I'm just using him as an example. Throw him in the second line center's position you might have a better chance at being a winner, you know, taking that next step, different kind of look, different kind of player, but it didn't work out that way. And it's obviously easier said than done. And look, I I think after all these years, when you have a player like Crosby, who's given you everything that's been asked of him. and, And if he's making a last minute call to the organization and to the player and saying, you know, you guys got to get back on the table and and, and figure this out. You need to come back. um, You know, once in a while he does that and I think you have to respect it because he he never really used that power he had as a player to his advantage and I, this is the first time I've heard Sidney Crosby getting involved in, in player decisions like this so it, it was important to him as much as it was you know to the players to stick around as well and unfortunately those things have to be taken into consideration and from an organizational standpoint, it's how you're perceived outside of your own building too, right? Other players in the future who join the Penguins will look at this era and say, well, these guys were truly loyal to their players. I'm going to make commitments. I might take a pay cut every so often, uh, you know, on my next contract. Like these guys ultimately did at times, right? I mean, Sidney Crosby could have had a much higher cap hit than he did uh, throughout his career, but he, he chose to, to take a lower cap hit to help. and. Um, so like I said, perception outside the league, those things are important too. how an organization is viewed to these players when you're trying to attract future free agents or when you draft the next superstar and you want to hang on to them, um, you know, agents will look at that, you know, these things all come into a factor. Um, I'm glad to see loyalty being a two way street for a change. Cause that's not very often. I mean, the mm-hmm. sport you guys follow more than I do basketball uh, there's virtually zero in mm-hmm. it. So it's kind of refreshing to see. 
Antonio. And plus, you know, I'm sure the the ticket sales, uh, you know, that probably came into a factor too. Uh, sure. Said you got yeah. new ownership, and you know, I'm sure the fans definitely want to see those guys that have been there for so long. They do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I God bless them. They're you know they some uh, I I go through the Twitter mentions and follows when I'm on Penguins Twitter and. Uh, so many of them were rejoicing and happy that they re-signed and now we can go get our fourth cup. I think they're nuts, but, um, <laughs> but God love them. I mean, these guys gave us so much to be happy about as, as, as a fan of the team for the last 15 years that, you know, you really can't be too disappointed. Right. I think you make a great point, Antonio, about the, the future prospects. Like, you know, if you, if you, if the culture, remains the way it is where you're, you're, you're keeping these star players and they're staying there for their entire career. I mean, a lot of prospects, they, they've, a lot of young kids have been watching, of course, Crosby, Malkin, you know, Jordan Stahl, the players that of course have come and played with that team, Latang, um, Gonchar, whatever, you know, of course they're going to want to come and, and be with that organization. If they're going to continue to keep that kind of, culture as we've seen with the red wings in the past and some of these other franchises so that's a really good point so i appreciate you checking me uh you know if you know what i mean checking me you know to <laughs> excuse, the yeah, excuse the pun excuse the pun yeah on on, yeah. on on your uh on your pittsburgh uh penguins but i do think uh, as a final point i have on this is that i think i think crosby has been vocal i think we just haven't heard of it in the in the in the medium much i remember first when they made that switch to dan bilesma he was known for saying that you know michelle terrians we're not going to be able to win this way i i remember that uh very clearly when i was watching the penguins a lot more uh definitely um back then uh during their heyday so and and also you know when they had that interim coach for a bit before they went to sullivan that wasn't a good fit as well i know crosby spoke up as well and he certainly has been outspoken when it comes to line changes and playing with the right guys um and so that's something he's been outspoken about for for many years he definitely always wanted to play with dupuis and, and make those line changes uh early on in their in their runs because he always wanted to be on speed with speed uh so uh, i think he has been vocal and he's always been on the side of Malkin, uh, you know, when it comes to making sure that two-headed monster is going to stick together. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with uh, basically all of that except for the Michelle Terrian. I heard that it was more of uh, some other players who were having issues with him. Crosby, not as much. But uh, everything, I know Balsma and Crosby, finally, they, they had a last straw moment where they that was it he had enough it was actually on tv you could see it on the bench where uh he just turned around and kind of snapped at balsman and, and that was it for him um and you, you knew balsman was done after that um but yeah no i agree with i agree with all that i agree with all that 100 percent. i mean you, you cannot be a star player in any sport and not you know demand certain things uh on, on the way things go on especially on the court on the ice um, on the field, you know, certain setups, certain situations that you need to have to make your life, you know, more comfortable out there for sure. Certain preferences of players you want to play with. They've all been like that. They've all been like, that. what I'm saying is that he, he very rarely gets involved in managerial decisions when it comes to, you know, all these, you know, this is the player you should have. The organization reaches out for it, you know, yeah. for the opinion, yeah. right. He's earned that. 
you know, and, and he'll give his opinion, but um, I don't think he's an ultimatum type of guy, but I right. think when it came to Malkin, you're absolutely right. Uh, the rumor is he stepped in last minute and said, you guys got to get back on the table here, get it, get, get the discussion going. Let's get this thing figured out. Yeah. I love that famous handshake that they have before they, 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 they jump onto the ice, you know, that's a, <laughs> that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story behind that. It's a funny, the funny thing is too, like the Crosby, was always the last guy on the ice all yeah. all the way up throughout his life. And when Malkin stepped in uh, for the first time, Crosby had been playing for a year and he basically told him, I'm, I'm coming on the ice last, by the way, I, I played two years KHL professional. That's right. That's you right. play one year. <laughs> and, and Crosby was like, oh, okay, all right, whatever you say. And that was it. So, Yeah. There's my penguin story for you. Thanks for giving me the chance here, Randy. Oh, of course, of course. It's What's <laughs> Up the Sports Podcast with Tony and Tony. I'm Randy Kure with Prince M, Prince Metalia, as well as uh the Pack Zone, Jerome Botang, uh, Prince and Jerome. You could find on Colorcast. I am on Colorcast as well as RC Milton 83. Uh, those of you, thank you so much for joining us uh as uh, we continue. Uh anybody with a question, uh, feel free to uh throw it up on the chat uh, maybe we could give you a minute as well but uh if we uh make our way uh to uh western canada fellas uh it's been uh quite an interesting uh couple of weeks uh, for the calgary flames and by interesting i mean absolutely god awful uh their two-star players johnny gaudreau and matthew kachuk are no longer uh matthew kachuk had uh reportedly told management that he wasn't going to resign with the flames and by that uh, was traded to the Florida Panthers. Of course, Calgary did get uh, Jonathan Huberto in return who uh, did get uh, heart trophy nominee uh, consideration, but uh, Johnny Gaudreau uh, being very interesting reportedly turning down an eight year, $84 million contract to sign with of all teams, the Columbus blue jackets that for significantly less uh, amount of, Seven years, $64 million. So, uh, Pac, the truth of the matter is, is that Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk are born in the United States and playing for the Calgary Flames, uh, a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, but, of course, if the last couple of years meant anything, uh, they were very uh, restricted uh, from what it appears that uh, they weren't able to see family uh, who uh, lived in the U.S. because, uh, especially during uh, uh, the uh, condensed season, that uh, travel between Canada and the United States did not happen. A lot of uh, Leaf fans, for example, are uh, very interested uh, to know that uh, their star player and uh, Hart Trophy winner Austin Matthews is from Scottsdale, Arizona, and last time I checked, is also not in Canada. So uh, uh, being the uh, American born and raised in this panel, uh, is this a coincidence or is this a sign of things to come that American born players, whether it be baseball, basketball, but as we are talking about hockey, could it be that Americans may want to avoid playing in Canada? Well, I think in general, um, especially in the NBA, that's definitely a thing. I know Toronto, the Raptors, they've had trouble just getting free agents and keeping people there. Um, 
But I will also say that um, apart from Johnny Gaudreau, because with him, it seems like he specifically was feeling homesick and he definitely wanted to be home. But as far as, you know, uh, Matthew Kachuk goes, uh, I think really it's more of a case that winning cures all. And, you know, Calgary, they've been, uh, you know, an up and down team. And, you know, over the past eight years, they've only had two playoff. uh, They've only won two playoff series. And I honestly think that may have more to do with it than anything. Um, If Calgary, if they were making it to Stanley Cup finals, if they were able to actually make, you know, a real a real like, you know, imprint on the NHL and be a real title contender. I think Gaudreau and Kachuk, they think twice about wanting to leave, especially Kachuk. Now, maybe Johnny, maybe he wanted to go back home specifically because he's definitely talking about feeling homesick. But as far as uh, Kachuk goes, um, you know, if Calgary was doing a little more in the playoffs, then I feel like he may be uh, more inclined to stay because, you know, it's not that often you get a guy that good at 24 years old uh, that'll just like up and switch teams before his contract is even up. So, you know, uh, I think the fact that they were able to get as big of a package as they were for Kachuk was really good. And that's some really good GM work there, um, especially to get uh, Jonathan uh, Huberto. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, to get Jonathan Huberto, and uh, Uyghur and uh, Squit. Okay, I, I, I can't pronounce that one. <laughs> oh, hey, you're doing well. You're doing well. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, but uh, I think they were able to get a good package back for, uh, you know, Kachuk. And, you know, I think it'll really just depend on winning. I, I'm just a component of winning cures all. And as far as Austin Meadows goes, uh, Matthews. Austin Matthews, Austin Matthews, Matthews, my bad, my bad. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of uh, the pitcher, Austin Meadows, which is my <laughs> bad. But uh, Austin Matthews, as far as he goes, man, look, if Toronto keeps on with these first round exits, I think that's going to be a lot more of a factor in uh, him potentially leaving than just him being homesick. Um, obviously, you know, being in Toronto, you know, not Toronto, being in Canada in general. It is a very different experience than a lot of Americans are used to. Um, but I think just if in that hockey environment, um, I think that the hockey environment is just more conducive. Like, I think you wouldn't think that, you know, being in Canada, you would uh, have to go spend a lot of time in Canada in general uh, if you do play hockey. So I don't know if it's as big of a factor as it is with the NBA. A lot of those players are from like, you know, uh, just inner city or just never really even consider just going north of the border. So I think that's a I don't think that's as big of a factor when it comes to the NHL. But I do think just the fact that Calgary and Toronto, they've both kind of been good, but not great teams. And uh, I just think that, you know, Kachuk, he wanted to go somewhere where the the Panthers, they've recently made a Stanley Cup finals appearance, and they were one of the best regular season teams last year. So he just wanted to go to a much more successful team. And uh, that's a really uh, that's a really steep price to pay for the Panthers. But he's definitely worth it, especially for a guy this young. And uh, the eight year deal is a lot of money, but I think that's worth it. But when it comes to uh, Matthews, um 
I think Toronto will just have to do a lot better in the playoffs. They're going to have to win a playoff series. Like, just okay. win a playoff series, make a deep <laughs> run in the NHL playoffs. And I think you, like, you know, uh, Prince, you should have a much easier time at convincing him to stay. But if it's more of the same these next two years, that's going to be that's going to be a much bigger factor in him leaving than him just being homesick. I don't know if him being homesick necessarily has too much to do with it. Well, uh, before Prince, before you uh, and uh, if you were uh, going to uh, comment, I mean, the last time Toronto won a fi- uh, playoff series, Facebook wasn't even created yet. And <laughs> so uh, that being said, you know, Prince, uh, uh, Jerome did hit a, a couple of points there. Actually, I, I did notice that uh, Jake, uh, uh, thank you so much for the comment. And uh, with regards to uh, Gaudreau, Kachuk, uh, Jake uh, wrote in and said uh, he thinks that part of it may be that there were guys who are still unvaccinated oh. and uh, didn't want to get the vaccine. Canada still has their mandate, of course. Both Canada and the U.S. still have uh, a mandate of uh, a vaccination, uh, but I I think more than anything, guys, it's it has been it is more so because of the last two years. I I never really bought Brian Burke, for example, who won a cup with Anaheim. Uh, his family was in Boston, but decided to come to Toronto. I mean, you know, Boston is still a flight away, and I get it, like, uh, Anaheim is on the other side of the U.S., but if you want to be closer to your family, why are you, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, not only uh, in a different country, but uh, you're still, like, what, a two-hour flight? So, uh, I mean, Johnny Gaudreau said he was homesick. He's from New Jersey, uh, plays in Columbus, and, yeah, sure, it's closer than Calgary, but Prince... Uh, what do you think this is a result of? I mean, do you think uh, that amongst everything that the last two years was the determining factor and uh, like a huge factor, especially for U.S. born players playing in Canada? You're saying COVID? Well, COVID wise. Yeah. Well, to start, unless if there was uh, anything else that may uh, jump out at you. Yeah, no. First, let's say, Trump, that's some great stuff for being an NBA expert. That was a really good insight. So, I mean, <laughs> I... I would say like, you know, from personal experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've defected to the States myself. So I'm somewhat American uh, myself, even though I'm, I'm a native of Toronto. And certainly there's that stigma of wanting to play in Canada, in the NBA, not so much in hockey. So in regards to Austin Matthews, I think, you know, I think you'd be up for the pressure the challenge because they, they've always been competitive, even though they haven't gone the first round. Um so, I mean, we don't know exactly what's, what's his, his decision is going to be on that. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to stay. Hopefully he does. Cross our fingers. But as far as Johnny Gaudreau, I mean, that guy sounds like he's French-Canadian. I don't know why he's American, but he could definitely <laughs> be a Canadian citizenship if it was me. But um, it's it's the tale of being in a, in a really remote location. That's the, that's my perspective on it. I mean, they had a really good season this, season, uh, this year. Uh, unfortunately, they – they didn't show up when they needed to. Uh, they put up a lot of points in the playoffs. Um, surprise, these guys are going. Do I think it's COVID related? Uh, maybe partially. I think that might have psychologically kind of pressured them to maybe want to go back home because it's just it's it might just been a, an irritant in addition to just being in a in a location that's just not favorable for for the the lifestyle and, and living you know living environment that's gonna uh, be conducive for you know for them to be happy. 
Uh, we've seen Zach Parise go from, from New Jersey, which is in a bad location. I lived in New Jersey myself, uh, right, right next to, you know, this Manhattan. But he wanted to go back to Minnesota, right, uh, where he's from. So, um, you know, so, I mean, we see that. And I think, you know, this is Canada, though. So there's a stigma of being in Canada. The COVID definitely probably impacted it as well. But I think it's definitely being and playing in Calgary. I think he's playing in Calgary. If you got a ch- chance to go and play in, in, in a different market, um, in the United States, uh, if you're an American born player, you, you might as well do it. I think that's just the, that's the philosophy that they go by. Well, uh, and, uh, but, uh, I think, I think more than anything, uh, you know, with regards to Austin Matthews, I thought from a few years back, uh, that it would be the NHL's dream for a guy like Austin Matthews to sign with the Vegas Golden Knights, this new franchise who uh, at the time recently uh, went to the cup final. Uh, And I still think that that would be uh, a marketing dream for the NHL. I think him personally, there is nothing more that he would want to do than play in Phoenix. Uh, You have a franchise that is now playing in a 5,000 seat stadium. There is, Absolutely nothing to cheer about for Coyotes fans. But if you start to get a winning culture, if you start to win a playoff round, you move into a big arena, you sell out that crowd, you have your native son leading the charge, Tony. If I was an Arizona native with Austin Matthews skill, the very first second I get, I would sign with the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, that all sounds great. And people have been talking about that for a while. Listen, the fact that he only signed a five-year deal, there's more, you know, gives you a good reason to think, okay, well, maybe this guy's thinking about, um, you know, the remainder of his career outside of Toronto. There's no question about it. Um, the Arizona Coyote organization is a disaster. Why you want, why would you want to put your eggs in that basket? I have no idea until all those things come to fruition which I have zero confidence in it happening. The fact that they're playing in a 5,000-seat arena is a joke, and it's an embarrassment. Gary Bettman, why he's trying so hard to save this franchise is beyond me. So do I think, Austin, you know Matthews, I, if, do I think if, Austin Matthews is sitting here thinking to himself, I need to get my ass there? I don't think he's thinking that right now. I think, sure, it would be wonderful. It would be an amazing dream, but... Um, Certainly, he's not an idiot, and I'm sure he's got agents who are sitting back and saying, this might be a disastrous decision for your career if you're actually thinking about doing this. Um, I would not hitch my wagon to the Arizona Coyotes doing anything right. You know, It's like committing to the Sacramento Kings. No, thank you. I don't want to do it. I, you know, I'd rather play in <laughs> Calgary. He's got a better chance thriving in Calgary than he would going to Arizona. So but, I you don't know. know if that should be top of mind. Um, I agree a hundred percent. Sorry, you go ahead. What were you? Gonna no, say? no, no. Actually, I was going to say, and uh, you know, shout out to Zach Cantrell, uh, Columbus, Ohio native, who is listening on uh, Colorcast. Uh, Johnny Gaudreau signing with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I mean, Columbus does have a passionate fan base. You can see uh, that it looks like that they sell out. Uh, and Zach has uh, mentioned the fact that. There is a following for Columbus uh, Blue Jackets hockey, but that is a team that has not had playoff success either. Now, they're nowhere near 
the Arizona Coyotes. No, but and they've and they've got a stable management group. I mean, John Davidson and Yarmo Kikalainen. It doesn't get better than those two. So you know the team's going to get better a lot quicker. And here's the thing that we don't know that we have no clue are the conversations that these players have amongst themselves, the relationships they have outside of their teams. Johnny Goudreau talks about how he's got a very strong relationship with Zach Berwenski, their best defenseman, and how they all tell him what a great place Columbus is to live. When you have a family, the outskirts of Columbus are apparently beautiful. Great spot to raise a family. Do we know that? Do we understand that? No. When we think of Columbus, we think of what? Ohio State, a college town that barely cares about hockey. They've got a great fan base. And his, you know, the ideal spot for him was was either New Jersey or Philly. They didn't bring it. They didn't come to the table. Columbus came in, came in hard, and he said it was it was a no-brainer. It took him five minutes, he said, to tell his agent, yeah, make it happen with Columbus. So these are the conversations that we're not privy to, that players have all the time amongst them. Maybe Kachuk and Goodrow had this conversation just after the season and saying, listen, I ain't coming back. You know, I'm just letting you know right now. You're an unrestricted free agent. Go get your money. Go get your contract. I'm letting you know right now that I do not plan on signing long-term with the Calgary Flames either. It could be that simple that made this decision turn the way it did. Uh, Jerome, I agree with you 100%. Uh, Brad Treliving, the general manager of the Calgary Flames, what he managed to get out of what looked like a disastrous week and a half for that organization by bringing in arguably the best playmaker in the game, one of the best playmakers in the game in Jonathan Huberdeau and a legit top four defenseman in Mackenzie Weger. To bring those guys in, that was him saying, yeah, I might only have these guys for a year, but we ain't quitting. We're not blowing this thing up. We're going to try and win this year. So uh, I give that guy a lot of credit for having the balls to make that move because most general managers might have just been looking to make future type acquisitions because these yeah, are huge yeah. risks. These are huge yeah. risks. They're both UFAs next year. So this same thing could be happening to the Flames next year. Oh, the man. exact like, same scenario. One question I had too was just like, um, and I was about to ask, like, do you think Calgary uh, – like, is there really a tanking kind of culture in hockey? Because I know in the NBA, like, uh, you know, I was just talking about that DeJounte Murray trade and the Spurs on the other side of it, they just got a bunch of draft picks for their best player. And they're seemingly just going to be really bad to get draft picks. And, you know, uh, with what you were saying about your Penguins and with this trade with the Calgary Flames, it seems like instead of just bowing out and resetting the team that uh, both of these teams are really just trying to make a playoff push, even if they don't get further than the first round. So um, is tanking, is that really not a good strategy when it comes to hockey uh, or is it just not a part of the culture in that league? No, there are, there are teams that'll do it. I mean, the Buffalo Sabres have been tanking for almost 20 years now. Um, <laughs> so, sometimes they don't do it on purpose. They just do it, uh, you know, unorganically but no there is that culture there there are teams that that know where they're at know the situation they're in and they're going to blow it up but well um, tony i mean uh, you could uh, uh attest to the fact that toronto tanked uh to get, uh, to austin, get matthews. austin matthews and the yeah. penguins tanked for a few years there from sure. say two, 2001 when they traded yarmer yarger away to 
ultimately, you know, so it was about two or three years where they decided we're blowing this thing up and boom, Mark Andre Fleury, Evgeny Malkin, mm-hmm. uh, Sidney Crosby, bang, bang, bang. And, yeah. and Jordan Stoll, if you want to add 2006. Um, so yeah, Chicago, no, they, Chicago, uh, Chicago, Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. So yeah, no, there's tanking in hockey as well. The, these two situations, I mean, that trade the Flames made uh, from that is totally uh, an exception to the rule. That that was a pure hockey trade, not something you're used to seeing. Uh, I can't remember the last time I see a trade like that in the NHL. I, I thought it was a brilliant move by the Flames, even though they could be putting themselves in the exact same position next year. I mean, those are some two. Those are two good players, though. You're losing. I understand you're saying they're good moves, and and, and I wanted to touch on Austin Matthews. I mean, I I would be absolutely scared. I'd be absolutely annoyed if I was Austin Matthews. If I was if I moved to Calgary as an unrestricted free agent, of course, <laughs> in Calgary. I mean, I don't think he'd want us be in Canada unless it's Toronto. It's no, a absolutely. It's a question of does he like the pressure? I think he relishes the competition. He got he's got that bravado. He's got that swag. He loves playing with Marner. If Marner hopefully sticks around, because I think he's part of the franchise, part of the future as well, even with the playoff blunders, so to speak. But you know, what I mean, with Nylander as well. I mean, you gotta you gotta think that he wants to stay. If he's going to Arizona, I completely agree with you, Antonio. Bad move. I think. Why is there a franchise there? I think it's a fantastic city. I visited it myself. The Suns are a good franchise. I know it's hockey. They don't have the biggest hockey market. But if you got one in Dallas, which I used to live in Dallas as well, believe it or not, I mean, this, the Phoenix area is a great, is a great uh, place. I'm sure it is. Right? I'm sure and it Wayne is, 100%. Owns it. Yeah. And yeah. Wayne owned it at some point. Um, but if you're him, if you're Austin Matthews, you don't want to go there. Um, however, I do like the idea, I, RC pose, Going to going to Vegas is a really cool idea. I think if if he gets annoyed with you know not winning and hopefully that changes for us RC in Toronto, um, then if he goes to goes to Vegas, that might be something exciting for him as far as the publicity being you know being on the market on a, on, a, on a new well, it's still not, it's a, not a new team anymore, but being on a really exciting city. Um, I mean, I think he'd relish that opportunity. I think he'd eat it up. I think it'd be a great fit for him. Um, but hopefully he stays in Toronto. Hopefully he well, likes the only problem with going to Vegas is that by the time he gets there, there'll probably be like $28 million over the cap or something like mm-hmm. that. They would have, they would have made some other dumb moves that would result in them having to trade good players away for nothing. Uh, there are another, you know, that Vegas is awesome. Don't get me wrong. And, and it sounds exciting, but they're another organization that just they're doing everything ass backwards and wrong. And they just, they're in a constant spin cycle since going to the Stanley cup final in, in, in their inaugural season. It seems like there's an organization with that. We were talking about that perception before with the penguins, there's an organization with that perception of they don't hang on to you for too long. And they're not the most loyal organization on the planet. Here's the thing with Austin Matthews, in my opinion, I think he enjoys the celebrity part of it. I think he's a very different type of guy in terms of what we always see in hockey players who are proper in that. And I, and I like it. I want to see a new attitude with hockey players and the hockey culture. Mm -hmm. Cause I think it's, I think it's, I think we're over that enough of the, you know, the suits and this and that. I mean, he's a little different. He likes to wear his running shoes with, 
with uh, capri suits and whatever the hell. He likes to be different. He enjoys a celebrity. I don't know if he financially can benefit as great in any other town than in Toronto because he's a hockey player. I mean, I don't know how much of a sell he's going to be in that Phoenix area as a hockey player. Do you know what I mean? Really? You you don't think so? Because, I mean, and I totally get it. I'm talking it about started. outside, like off the ice, like the opportunities sure, that sure. you get off the ice, off the court, off the field. I think but, he can maximize his abilities financially in Toronto I, as a hockey player, as a hockey player. Sure. I, I just think that Austin Matthews in Arizona as an Arizona Coyote, mm-hmm. I think the the bar is so low and they haven't won a playoff series as pretty much as long as the Leafs haven't won a playoff series. But if you get something going, and uh, the rumor is is that Arizona, the Coyotes are uh, trying to get an arena in Tempe. Um, if Austin Matthews go, goes to Arizona, you have to think that they are uh, going to be so much more exponentially better. And it is a non-traditional market in Phoenix, but they haven't won anything pretty much since they've been there and it's been over 20 years. So you start to get a winning culture. You start to, and I mean, Phoenix is all, is a large market. I, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's like the seventh largest market in the United States. So, I mean, I, I just think that uh, the, the expectation and uh, the, the history, the bar is so low that, and I also, I also do think that Austin Matthews as an Arizona Coyote is the potential for success and growth and uh, to be revered. It's kind of similar to Vince Carter coming to Toronto. He came to a market that had no history. And uh, e- even the divorce that happened with the Raptors uh, as it happened, all of these basketball players, uh, from coast to coast are playing basketball because of Vince Carter. Is it possible that Austin Matthews could garner that kind of uh, uh, ad- admiration uh, in the Southwest United States? I could totally see it happening. Yeah, as far as admiration, I totally agree with you. It'd be a, a really good move on his his part and definitely in the city, especially because he's from there. I think even more so of a of a hit than than Vince Carter was in Toronto because Vince of course wasn't even from Canada and actually uh, like you know Jerome had hinted at you know a lot of Americans didn't want to play in Canada which at the latter later stages is with his time in Toronto we found out was the case uh part of the case and so I think it'd be as far as admiration's concerned I think it'd be a, a great fit um as far as his career as as Tony was mentioning earlier I just don't think it'd be a good career move i don't know if they would draw some good talent once he gets there but uh certainly a good uh a place for him to be home and and, and be um to, to really kind of resurrect that city with 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 one of their hometown boys so uh here we go so uh guys <laughs> I, I do have to ask uh, how are you for time because we do have a. Uh... A couple of more topics, uh, but how are you guys for time? Do you still are you still able to hang for a little while longer? I can hang for a little bit longer. Yeah, we can. I got the 
I got a few minutes left. I got to get my daughter down here to go to sleep soon. So okay, all right. Uh, well, yeah. hey, you let me know, uh, Tony, what your uh, what your schedule is like, and then uh, we'll try and wrap up. But uh, this is what's up the sports podcast uh, with Prince M, Prince Metalia, as well as uh, the Pack Zone. Uh, Jerome Botang, both of them who you could find on uh, Colorcast, as well as uh, Tony Antonio and myself, uh, RC Milton 83. So, uh, guys, um, usually I end the podcast with uh, a rapid fire segment. I'm actually going to bring that in now because uh, the final topic I, I do want to leave uh, for the very end. And uh, uh, we'll get to that after our rapid fire segment. Big deal, no big deal. So uh, Tony uh, and I, uh, we go through a couple of topics and essentially uh, I pose the question and uh, the panel then uh, determines whether what I said was a big deal or no big deal. So uh, I don't know how much of a traditionalist you boys are, but uh, as uh, pure as baseball is, uh, a battery between a pitcher and catcher they communicate when a catcher flashes signs of course times have changed and now uh, they have the pitchcom uh, telecommunication app it's a uh, wireless uh, not so much an app but it's an earpiece where pitchers and catchers can uh, confirm calls uh, and uh, prevent sign stealing Max Scherzer of the New York Mets uh, Hall of Famer World Series champion, doesn't like Pitchcom. He thinks that uh, stealing signs is a part of baseball and uh, doesn't like Pitchcom, the uh, communications piece. So, uh, Prince, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what Max Scherzer said, I mean, Pitchcom being a wireless communications device uh, and it's stealing signs, I mean, everything I just said there, what Max Scherzer said, was that a big deal or no big deal? I think it's a big deal if you were to pick one side. I think, you know, I'm a traditionalist, uh, you know, when it comes to sports. Uh, I'm not a huge baseball guy these days, but I do like the traditionals, the old school, you know, you know, way of playing the game. I believe stealing signs is perfectly fine. I think that's perfectly good. I think that's a great part of the game that we love. Um, you know, stealing bases, stealing signs. I mean, the the actual the actual system itself um it's it's really a system where the the um the catcher has to call in the actual pitch to the pitcher so uh, uh you know a lot of the times you can't get the authenticity of an actual pitcher selecting the pitch that he wants through a selection of pitches that we've seen historically and i love that whole organic flow of the game that they the old traditional style of the game as well so i think stealing signs is great I think it's a big deal if you were to pick one side. I think I think they should go away with it. I think it's a fantastic technology, especially me being with an engineering background. I actually love it. I was talking to my friend about <laughs> it, you know, before we started this, and I think it's fantastic. But I think it's a big deal. I think they should go back to the basics, go back to you know how the game is being played. I think stealing signs is great. I think calling your own pitches is great and uh, that communication uh, or lack of communication uh, it just adds a lot more drama to to a lot of games in baseball so uh yeah no i mean i i, I do like uh tradition as well and uh i mean i i think that every time when i hear about uh, a team a stealing signs i'm like well come up with a more complex sign i mean you know if man could be sent to the moon well, I guess that's uh, still up for debate. 
but uh yeah i i think that it's uh, uh pretty important to you know come up with a complex uh, uh signs uh, system so uh the pittsburgh steelers historic franchise in the nfl uh they are going to be playing in the renamed and i'm probably going to butcher this name at cruiser stadium am i am i pronouncing that right do you guys know at Acrisure Stadium. Does anybody know what that uh, industry is? Acrisure. All, all I know, I think it's a company from Michigan, which also pissed off the the people in uh, Pittsburgh about that it wasn't even a company within Pennsylvania. But uh, I don't know what they do. Yeah, it's an <laughs> insurance company of some sort. There you go. You know what? I thought I heard of that as well. And uh, when I, I was really intrigued about this because I was listening. Uh, to uh, sports radio and uh, it was uh, sacrilege to rename uh, what was Heinz Field and I mean does Heinz Field have that same allure as Wrigley Field or uh, Yankee Stadium uh, Madison Square Garden Uh, Pac the uh, fact that the Steelers have uh, changed their the name of their stadium is that a big deal or no big deal uh, no big deal. It's it's just the name of the stadium. I think that, you know, I think obviously Pittsburgh fans are very mm-hmm. attached to Heinz Field because they've had a lot of big moments in there, played a lot of great playoff games. But in the grand scheme of things, I mean, if the Pittsburgh Steelers, if they're still a great team, then, you know, it really won't matter. And there's going to be more memories made at Acrisure Stadium or Acrisure Field. Um, and, you know, sentimentally, you know, it probably works best that Big Ben was the last quarterback to play for Heinz Field. And now that they have Kenny Pickett or, uh, you know, whoever their new quarterback is going to be, if it's not Kenny Pickett already, you know, he can kind of open up that new era of Pittsburgh football in a newly named stadium. Um, so, you know, if it brings more money in so they can renovate the stadium a little bit, then I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think people are very attached to names of stadiums, but in the grand scheme of things, it's all right. Uh, I just think they could have found a better company to name it after. Um, you know, <laughs> I, 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 re- I remember when my Hawks, when they changed from the Phillips Arena to State Farm Arena. You know, it it was a bit of an adjustment because it had been Phillips for so long and we had all those playoff memories at Phillips Arena. But, you know, I think people have gotten used to State Farm just like people uh, got used to Truist Field for the Braves. So it's it's always a big deal when it happens initially, but people just tend to forget about it after a year or two. I'm sorry, I'm never going to get used to Crypto.com Arena. Now that that's weird. That that is just too weird. Staples. That's that's one of those iconic ones. That's like if Wrigley decided to change the name of their stadium. Like, I, I like some stadiums are iconic enough to where you don't want to change it. I don't think Heinz Field necessarily reaches that level. Tony may disagree a bit. I don't know if he's a Steelers fan, but no, no, like no. Heinz Field. No, I'm not. But uh, okay, yeah, go on. No. <laughs> okay, yeah, but I don't think Heinz okay. Field necessarily reached that legacy status, but Crypto.com Arena, that just kind of reminds me of the dystopian future that we're headed toward where, you know, <laughs> like it, it just kind of right. reminds me of that. That's why I don't like it, but, it is, you know. It is, a, it is indicative of the, of the decay of our culture. That's a, when, I, when I think of Crypto.com Arena. 
yeah, yeah absolutely um i i know i think i think they'll get over it i think they always do especially when you win uh but Heinz was a Pittsburgh company, so I think it's going to mean it's going to stick a little longer with the people in Pittsburgh because they're very proud people. And the fact that it was a Pittsburgh company that, you know, but they should be mad at Heinz for not coughing up more money to, to renew the deal. And money talks, right? So mm-hmm. if you're going to be pissed off at anybody, pissed off, be pissed off at the people of Heinz. You should have paid more to keep your name on there and the, and the two ketchup bottles. So I, I do have a trivia question uh, for the uh, one uh, full uh, American on this panel, as you are uh, surrounded by Canadians. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, the Blue Jays play at Rogers Center, but do you know the original name of that stadium? Uh, oh, nah. Oh, you don't. Mm. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm not even going to act like I remember. But so it... <laughs> <laughs> so uh it is it was known as uh, sky dome and uh, they changed that a good what 15 20 years ago and jay's fans today and even rogers uh uh so, sorry it's a yeah rogers uh is in the uh, broadcast radio industry in canada and their own broadcasters refuse to call it rogers center sometimes some wow. of them still continue to call it sky dome we're just so attached to that name and or, or they'll just call it the dome right oh, like yeah, just, perhaps let's go let's go down to the dome yeah uh, if you're working for rogers and you're not calling it the rogers center you're not going to be working for rogers much longer no i don't know about that i mean uh it's trust me i, I think when that there I, is something to a name i, I, I work I, at this you know as you know i work at the scotia bank arena where the leafs and the raptors play that's my part-time job. And, and when it changed to the Scotiabank Arena from the Air Canada Centre, um, we had pre-shift meetings about it to, you know, to make sure that we get okay. into the habit of being the Scotiabank Arena because you know, they're not paying $20 million a year to have you call it the Air Canada Centre, right? So they're very serious about that. <laughs> yeah, you never know what executives could be there. Like, And if you slip up a little bit and the wrong person hears you, that that could be some trouble. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, but uh, and uh, shout out to Jake once again. Jake, thank you so much for uh, sticking around and joining us and uh, 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 tuning in. Uh, first of all, uh, Jake said that uh, Heinz Ward, the football player, should buy the field so he could uh, become Heinz Field. So that's uh, number <laughs> one. And uh, with regards to the Lakers and Staples Center uh, crypto, uh they got LeBitcoin James and uh, Anthony <laughs> dodged the coin. So, okay. So he's trash talking there. So, but <laughs> I think that a couple of easy targets there anyway. Yeah. But I just wonder how much naming rights mean anything in the grand scheme of things. Uh, Kia, the car company, now? for example, Kia, like I don't, and actually, one of my neighbors is a uh, is a like a uh, like a, a executive within uh, Kia. I'm not. I mean, uh, it doesn't really move the needle for me in terms of uh, like uh, Kia's place in sports. They they have uh, the rookie of the year is known as Kia, and I think they have naming rights with regards to the NBA uh, NBA uh, uh, awards. Uh, so uh, yeah, I I just wonder. 
how much uh how much uh benefit how much uh, revenue can possibly happen when you include your brand to either a soccer jersey or a name of a stadium uh i mean did uh the price did uh minute made revenue uh go up for orange juice uh when uh the astros renamed their stadium i don't know i think for, i think for the team at that moment they're looking at a large sum of money coming their way and um, from a marketing perspective, there's something they know, right? There's something that benefits them coming back by having their name on that stadium. So, but uh, naming like being, being glued to the name or being married to the name of the arena or stadium in the city you're in uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's an obsolete thing, right? I mean, we grew up with Maple Leaf Gardens and, you know, it, it, you know, it was born Maple Leaf Gardens and died Maple Leaf Gardens. The, those days are over. I mean, the Penguins Arena was Console Energy Center when they first opened it. I think it was like not even five years later, they became the Pittsburgh Paint Arena, PPG. PPG, arena. yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Named after a paint store. Um, so, you know, you just those days are over where you really care about the name of the arena because the, they, they could change in a heartbeat. Well, for me, perhaps. anyway, perhaps. So, so uh, Lambeau I... Field and Wrigley Field—they're next to to be a name change, and I'm sure those fans of those teams are not going to be pleased about it. But it's coming. I think there'll be riots if <laughs> like, if you're changing those names. <laughs> yeah, I think you're in for Wrigley Field. That's a, it's that's gonna a be a, it's gonna be a rough few months. <laughs> and uh, well, uh, the last one uh, for uh, this segment, uh, guys. Uh, some NFL teams are going to be, uh, well, speaking of change, uh, hey, I, you got to uh, make money and so on. And uh, uh, jersey sales and apparel sales, I mean, hey, look, take a look at a guy like myself. I mean, uh, money talks. And some NFL teams are going to be playing with an alternative helmet. Uh, there's as many as 13, I believe, that are uh, going to be wearing a different uh, helmet and uh, some traditional helmets that uh, – football fans have uh, grown up with are going to have a different look as uh, this, uh, there was a poll from the app, the score and ranked the worst helmet was the Cincinnati Bengals, where instead of the orange background with the Bengal stripes, the uh, alternative helmet would be a white background. Uh, Tony, some teams are synonymous with their jerseys and the look of uh, how they present themselves on the field. For the Cincinnati Bengals, for example, amongst every other team uh, that uh, changes their jersey for uh, these uh, one-offs, is that a big deal or no big deal? Uh, No big deal to me. In fact, I didn't know that was happening until I read your, when you sent us the lineup, to be honest with you, and I usually pride myself on knowing these things as I flip through Twitter on a daily basis, especially fashion. Uh, but I had no clue. I don't look at it as a big deal. Um, but you're right about one thing. There is a market for it because people like you, as you look at the background of, of your place there, yeah. um, th- there are people who are addicted to this stuff and like to, to get their hands on it. And I wish I had your money. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Well, uh, hey, I'm just uh, believe me. If I had kids, I uh, wouldn't have been able to uh, to get this. So, well, yeah, uh, that's for sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, but Tony is correct. Now, having said that, if I was a Yankees fan and they decide to uh, change the uh, logo, I, at least on a permanent basis, because I know that they do change uh, the hat, for example, uh, you know, for one-offs, All-Star games, and so on that I would be absolutely livid. If uh, the Yankees, for example, uh, they named their stadium the, you know, I don't know, Bitcoin stadium, whatever, center, like I would just go through the roof. But uh, I got to be honest, like with regards to Cincinnati's helmet, I think it's pretty sleek. Yeah, yeah it looks good, especially paired with like the all white jersey. Like it looks pretty nice. Yeah, and they're they're they are currently a relevant franchise, so it it might be franchise. And I think that's a might, look. I think Joe yeah. Burrow is going to really yeah. be a big selling jersey for the alternative jersey. I think it's a great option for yeah. what they have with the orange, the traditional orange jerseys. I think they hit. I think they hit a home run personally with this one. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. So, uh, guys, uh, listen, uh, this has just been uh, an absolute blast. I mean, where did the last two hours go? Uh, You know, I really want to thank you guys so much. And, uh, you know, I do want to end things off uh, as uh, especially around uh, these parts. uh, TSN, uh, obviously, uh, uh, one of the two main sports uh, broadcasters in uh, Canada, uh, they have this one, uh, the drive time host for their radio uh, station in Toronto is a real stickler when it comes to uh, statues and what kind of star athlete should get a statue. Now, this has all been started. This was all started from the announcement that the Los Angeles Kings have decided to honor, of all people, with a statue, Dustin Brown. Now, around these parts, Dustin Brown doesn't really jump out of the page, especially in a city like Los Angeles, when you have the likes of Chamberlain, Magic, uh, when you had the likes of uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Jackie but, Robinson. It, I was just naming names. Jackie okay. Robinson. <laughs> but uh, Dustin Brown is getting a statue uh, at Crypto.com Arena. <laughs> Before Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant apparently does not have an arena uh, statue at uh, at it around the arena. Now, Dustin Brown was the captain of the LA Kings. Dustin mm-hmm. Brown did win two Stanley Cups, but he doesn't really jump out of the page. And uh, throwing it out here, do we uh, get too involved? And is it too easy to anoint? players as having that kind of allure and prestige in terms of getting a statue anybody want to chime in um i think i definitely think today's day and age especially soccer i don't know how much you guys follow soccer but i hear the word legend all the time for it seems like for every player and it seems like the goat conversation is just it's just thrown in there every chance you get when, whenever you're talking about athletes of today. Um, but I think I, it all depends on what you do for that organization and what you mean to the organization. We had a show about, uh, you know, about Kyle Lowry and we were talking about, should he get a statue before say Vince Carter? 
And we had a heated discussion about that. <laughs> and obviously Kyle Lowry is, is nowhere close to being, you know, having, you know, what Vince had in, in his heyday here in Toronto in terms of, you know, the attention he brought here, but uh, longevity, uh, one organization, you won championships, you were the captain. Uh, you were a top six player for the majority of that career. Uh, he seems to check all the boxes in terms of that organization and the success they had with him there. So I don't see why not, right? It's what the fans think too. Like I'm pretty sure there's there's a heavy influence from the fan base saying, yeah, let's get this guy's statue. He, he's, you know, he, he's a legend for us, but I, I don't know. Uh, I... I I'm I'm 50-50 when it comes to statues. I I hate the constant goat conversations we have in sports these days and I can't stand when it seems like every player and their mother in soccer is a legend. You know, they just they they're legends. You know, you're a legend. You know what Tony, uh, the one thing that uh gets my uh goat a lot is all of these athletes are superstars in said league. And they're not just simply stars. To me, there's only a couple of superstars in the NBA. Uh, Steph Curry, LeBron James, mm-hmm. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant and Nikola Jokic. Nobody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anybody else wants to throw a name, by all oh, means. Kawhi, Kawhi, I mean, he hasn't played. Kawhi, sure. Okay, Kawhi could be up there. But... Uh, Jason Tatum, to me, he's not a superstar. Mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving, to me, he's not a superstar. Kyrie Irving did not lead. He was instrumental in Cleveland winning the championship. He's a hell of a player. To me, he's not a superstar. Neither is Clay Thompson. Neither is Draymond Green. But I, I mean, I think to your point that uh, uh, with regards to uh, the statue, and I think uh, for visitors of Toronto, for example, that there are uh, moments, especially Vince Carter in the slam dunk competition in 2000, uh, if there was a statue of that pose uh, between his legs. Yeah, you think of uh, Joe Carter hitting the uh, World Series home run in 1993 against Philadelphia. Uh, as a moment, should statues be erected for a moment? Uh, you know, like uh, Pac, I mean, for uh, an Atlanta native uh does a guy like Deion Sanders, does he deserve a statue? Um, You know, as, as much as we all love Deion, I also think like it's, it's all those factors, just like, you know, iconic moments and just longevity with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, Deion, he was electrifying, but. You know, he he deserves to have his jersey retired and all that. But he only, he was only with the team for about four years. Um, I think, like, you got to be with the team for at least a good, like, six or seven years. Really, if I, could, if I could jump in, if I could jump in, because I don't know the answer to this question. What kind of stat, how many, uh, who has a statue built for the Atlanta Braves? Because uh, there's two uh, pitchers, uh, there's two players that I'm very intrigued about if they have a statue uh, for Atlanta. I know Hank Aaron. I'm 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 fairly certain Hank Aaron has a statue for uh, the Braves. I don't know if it's anyone else right now. Like yeah, uh, but I know uh, Hank Aaron definitely has a statue, and uh, the only other person I could think who would get a statue is probably Chipper Jones. 
Um, he was a great player for a very long time for Atlanta. If he doesn't already have a statue, then he will get one. But Atlanta, we really don't give out statues uh, that often. Um, I think I don't know if anyone for the Falcons has a statue. We have a, a statue of a, a Falcon. Uh, that's our statue of the mascot. Um, in terms of the Hawks, Dominique Wilkins, he has a statue right out front of Phillips, not Phillips, State Farm Arena. State Farm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bite your tongue. Bite your tongue. Be a good neighbor. Come on, Jerome. <laughs> so he, ha- yeah, he has a, a statue right outside of State Farm Arena. And, uh, you know, both of those guys, when it comes to, you know, uh, just being instrumental and at least like being the first of those icons within their teams, like Hank Aaron, when when we moved to Atlanta, he was like the first superstar the Braves had for the Atlanta Braves. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the Atlanta Hawks, even though Dominique didn't really like win championships or whatnot, he is like the iconic player when you think of Atlanta. And when you think of, you know, those uh, jerseys that they had back in the 80s, we call them the Neek era jerseys because uh, like he was synonymous with Atlanta and we've had good players before, but um, you know, well, it, it just seems, really- it seems uh pack. Sorry to interrupt here that uh, I actually uh, came across a website apparently for the Atlanta Braves, at least Hank Aaron, Phil Necro has a statue. Ty oh, okay. Cobb apparently has a statue. Ty Cobb, yes. And Warren Spawn apparently has a statue. I'm surprised that uh, Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and John Smoltz don't have a statue. Yeah, yeah, very surprising about that. I guess um, I'm willing to bet like during the 90s, they just wanted to honor those like really older players. I forgot all about Ty Cobb. Uh, yeah, he definitely deserves a statue too. But uh, I know the main one everyone uh, speaks of is the Hank Aaron statue, just specifically because what he did for Atlanta in particular. But I think, you know, guys like Tom Glavin and Chipper Jones, they shouldn't be too far behind. Uh, I would think Chipper probably gets one before anyone else. Hmm. I mean, I think Maddox deserves one over a lot of those guys. Of what I mean, the kind of pitcher, he was a prolific pitcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at his stats, you look at his influence. I mean, we even talked about it in one of our color cast debates. I think he is a one of the premier pitchers the leagues have ever seen, one of the most intelligent pitchers we've ever seen. Smoltz was right behind him, too, with that one-two tandem they had. Of course, Chipper was a was a was a heck of a a baseball player, but I mean, I think yeah. Max definitely deserves one over over Chipper, but definitely both of them should be considered for one in Atlanta. Yeah, Chipper, he was definitely a fan favorite. I know that. Like, uh, if you ask like all the fans, like he's the fan favorite, but Tommy, like Maddox, he's definitely not far behind at all. He was very dynamic back in the nineties, and. You know, when, when I think of those teams, it's just kind of amazing. We only got one World Series out of them, but hey, at least we got that one. So I'm, I'll just cherish that and the one we won last year. Yeah, that's right. Hey, uh, don't forget Atlanta Braves. Uh, Thanks to your Canadian general manager. Yeah, that's yes. right. <laughs> Double A, man. He he's yeah. he definitely uh been making those moves, man. Definitely uh he he saved our season after Acuna went down. And that uh, Canadian in spirit, uh, Freddie Freeman. Look, uh, guys, this was such a treat. Uh, you know, uh, thanks to uh, Colorcast for uh, just uh, building this community for uh, sports uh, nuts like uh, us to get together 
uh, you know, to uh, when this podcast started, never did I think I would be able to do a roundtable with uh, a gentleman from Georgia and a gentleman from New Mexico uh, to re-engage with my good buddy, Tony, uh, after all these years. Uh, it's been an absolute treat. And uh, I, I, I'd love to have you guys back. I don't know if we're going to go another two and a half hours like tonight, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it, let's uh, let's do this again really soon uh, to uh, uh, to Prince, Natalia uh, uh, and to Jerome Botang, Tony, as always, Tony Antonio. Uh, thank you so much for everything. Yes, sir, man. Thank you for uh, letting us on. And um, definitely anytime, uh, you know, I definitely love to hop on again, man. My pleasure always. And Jerome, I'm going to follow the Atlanta Hawks a little closer now. Thanks to you. <laughs> Jesus, you got me yeah, riled oh, up. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm definitely going to follow uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, okay. you, you've introduced me to like three players today. Well, two <laughs> players. I knew who Crosby was before then. He's yeah. like the only guy. I knew. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My pleasure, guys. It was nice meeting you. A pleasure, Tony. And a pleasure meeting you. I've been calling you Antonio. Maybe I, I feel That's like. That's okay. You That's my last player. name. It's my yeah, last name. So. The Italian flavor this entire time. You can't go wrong. I'm Greek, <laughs> by the way, but that's that's okay. Yeah, my parents had nine months to come up with a name, and that's what they picked. <laughs> <laughs> the same as my last name. <laughs> well, and it uh, flows off the tongue. Tony Antonio, Prince Metalia, Jerome Boateng. I'm Randy Coure. This is What's Up the Sports podcast on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram at What's Up Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you are doing well and keeping safe. And we will talk to you next time. Peace.